Happy Monday, and welcome to another episode of The Sneak Preview, a Filmgasm Productions podcast that follows the current film calendar. I'm Connor Zagari. I'm Caleb Boucher. And today we're joined by Filmgasm podcast co-host Josh Allred, who is here to help us discuss today's Big Fish, the 2021 horror sequel, Candyman. Welcome to your first sneak preview, Josh. Yeah, happy to be here. (laughs) Uh, We'll also discuss Ted Bundy biopic, No Man of God, and Hulu's new comedy, Vacation Friends. It's been a pretty good weekend for film uh, compared to some some of our past episodes, which frankly have been... obnoxious (laughs) obnoxious <laughs> yeah, what'd you say <laughs> yeah it's amazing how you know when there's less films getting released in the weekend more of them are, are good instead of like the seven movie release weekends yeah. turns out when you just shove seven eight movies into into three days uh nobody wins no no one wins no one's watching all this shit and the people who are hate that they're watching this shit <laughs> so right yeah, thankfully we didn't have to deal with that this week. <laughs> right. Most of it's because of companies like Netflix and Prime leading right behind them and saying, oh, we have a movie. Let's just put it out without any care about quality of film. But thankfully, we got three pretty decent movies this weekend, and I'm excited to talk about them. Uh, but first, let's take a look at what happened last week in film. Last week in film. First up, trailers. Big week for trailers. First up, Intrusion, a Netflix thriller starring Frida Pinto and Logan Marshall Green. Hits Netflix September 22nd. Either of you guys get a chance to see the Intrusion trailer? No. Um, With Logan Marshall Green being in it, I'm definitely going to look at it at least. Um, I still upgrade as probably one of the most exciting movies I've seen in probably like the last like five, seven years. It's just, it's, it it had no business being as, being as fun as it was. And also like satisfying you being like a a horror fan and seeing some of the, just the ultra gory stuff that happens. Like I, I I probably got a lot more respect and admiration for Lee Wannell when, when, with, with that, than than. And it just and it just continued into into uh, Invisible Man. So yeah, I'll check it out. Yeah, upgrades a great one. I really wish I hadn't done that filmgasm podcast after a full day of flights because <laughs> I am running on fumes in that episode. It's a really light episode. I remember that. <laughs> oh yeah, um, yeah. I I mean, like, I like the cast for this. Like, like Josh saying, like Logan Marshall Green. I, I was really kind of like down on him when I first saw him in like Prometheus. I was like, no, oh, it's just some dude that looks like Tom Hardy, whatever. But then I saw Upgrade and I was like, no, this guy's really good. And um, I think the cast is good, but God, Netflix is just, we've talked about it numerous times. They're just so quantity over quality. That's like, I don't really trust them. Like, okay, another Netflix movie. Woo. <laughs> <laughs> Um, for those of you who didn't see the trailer, Intrusion, Intrusion um, follows a couple who deal with a home invasion. Uh, Frida Pinto is a little shaken up, finds out that this might have not have been 
random that somebody might actually be after her. Her husband might be involved. Looks very much like a paranoia rabbit hole kind of movie. Uh, could go either way. I don't really have the best faith in Netflix's output anymore. Um, after having to watch most of their films this year. Uh, so we'll see. Um, next up, The Starling, a Netflix dramedy <coughs> starring Melissa McCarthy, Chris O'Dowd, and Kevin Klein. It's Netflix September 24th. Uh, did you guys see this trailer? No, but hearing those names, I, I don't know how I want to feel about it. And I hate when, and I, I guess hate is a strong word. I don't really like the word dramedy. Like, fuck you. Like, just look, if it's going to be dramatic, it's going to be dramatic. And at the, at, at really, when you boil it all down, film is a dramatic medium, period. Horrors or dramas, you know, like, I don't know. It's just, it seems like this stupid buzzword to try and like categorize something and, and let you know that, oh, it's, it's a drama. There's going to be some serious stuff. But you're gonna to laugh too. Like, well, yeah, duh. If you want to, if you're a fucking decent writer, you're gonna, you're, you're gonna not want to torture people for fucking two hours. But okay, <laughs> I don't know. Strong like, feelings coming out of the gate. Well, I just, <laughs> I heard that and I was just like, oh, it it's one of those cringe words for me. Like I just hear it and I'm just like, oh fuck. You know what? I'll, I'll back Josh up here. Um, what? <laughs> You know, like horror, I think what the new buzz for that pisses me off is Elevate Horror. That's been like the big one. Um, I feel like with dramedies, like what I have experienced is that it's like the comedy's version of that, or it's like people who just want to feel like the more high art, they're like, oh, dramedies. When I'm like, okay, I don't really care what you call it as long as it makes me laugh and I it hits me in the trauma when it's supposed to, right? Um so the funny, I, I will kind of. <laughs> the funniest part about this is the trailer labeled it a drama. I I, I called it a dramedy because I thought it had some comedic moments. <laughs> so well, you're the all on me then. It's all you. It's all you. You son of a bitch. However, I will say this though. I, I will say, have you ever noticed that comedic actors or comedians often have the chops to be in serious dramatic roles. Oh yeah. I think, you know, a lot of com comedy comes from a place of deep sadness. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. So, you bet your ass. Yeah. Like that's not a, that's not a hot take, but you know, a lot of comedic actors I think can kind of use that in multiple ways. So yeah, I'm not really surprised. It's a cool, I think it's good for their career. And Melissa McCarthy's already got, you know, two Oscar nominations under her belt. I mean, she's doing just fine in you know comedy and drama so and this looks emotional i won't lie um basically she has a miscarriage uh struggles with it and her husband goes to like deep therapy and she's having trouble talking to people about it and she ends up talking to kevin klein who's a vet who used to be a therapist and uh couldn't handle it so they like all end up helping each other it looks sad but it also looks like it could be like you know, Oscar bait that doesn't quite make it. So we'll see. Has, has any Netflix movie won an Oscar yet? Um, yeah, a few, a few. Um, Roma did very well at the Oscars. 
Alfonso Cuarón walked away with three. Yeah, didn't wasn't that the big film that like it got a bunch of stuff and then like a bunch of like directors like Spielberg came out kind of pissy. That was yeah, mm -hmm. that was one of those movies. (laughs) Yeah, and then um, Trial of the Chicago Seven, The Irishman. So there have been a few movies that have made some uh, their mark at the Oscars from Netflix. Yeah. Yeah, I must say, I remember that. That's why I remember I was like, Spielberg, she, she sounded really, really angry that like a next Netflix film got that. And I'm like, I don't know, like, yeah, that's a whole discussion about like the whole theater and streamer experience. It's really been popping up, especially with the pandemic that you could go on about. So, yeah, but I think he, he, he did the same shit with VHS. Like back when, you know, e- he, he kept ET off VHS for so long because he was like, it's going to ruin the experience of the film. So he's just a, he's a, he's a bit sour when it comes to the way people watch movies. Well, he I, just he just feels like the only way you can experience a movie is in a theater. And sorry, dude that 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 playing field has been leveled. When you can you could literally buy a TV that gives you that experience, or fucking get a projector and just splash it on your wall, like. I get it. Like I prefer to go to movie theaters. That's just, I mean, that was how I got into movies as a kid at the same time, grew up in the late eighties and nineties when cable came around, that too was also a big game changer because you could watch movies at home and that you could never do that before. And I think I think that that also creates a very unique environment, though, because then you can almost pick your audience. You can have just your friends over and you all can watch something that you all want to watch instead of going to a place with a bunch of weirdos who'll take off their shoes and put their smelly ass feet up by your head or talk on their goddamn phones and do all of that shit. And you don't have to worry about that. So I understand where he wants to have that, quote unquote, pure experience, but. I mean, let people watch movies the way they want to watch movies. You should be happy that they're watching your shit in the first place. Yeah. Has that happened to you? Is someone just taking their shoes off? At the <laughs> no, 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 no. Not me personally. Not me personally. I am using uh, other examples I have seen on like Twitter. People talking about, oh, it's so great to be back in a theater. And I just saw this guy fucking take off his shoes. And it's just like, like, who the fuck does that? Who the fuck does that? Fucking savage! My God, that's ooh. No, yeah, I, I'm, I'm, I feel the same way. Like, I don't get me wrong. I love theaters. I love going to the movie theater. But like, especially here recently with like uh, the pandemic and you know theaters having to close, shut down, and then all the restrictions and stuff like that, it was bugging me when people were like, I don't think Spielberg really spoke out during this time, but like people were like Denis Villeneuve with Dune, who brought it up again recently, like a week or two ago. Um, and Christopher Nolan, they're like, I only want my movie in theaters. It's the only way to watch it. And I'm sitting there thinking, you know, the studio has to make money mass off the movie that they funded. I was like, and right now, the way they can do that is currently on lockdown. People can't go. So no one's watching your movie that's only in fucking theaters. I was like, now I understand the initial outrage when Max said what they did and they didn't talk to the filmmakers about contract negotiations and stuff like that, I get that part. But like to sit there and like not think about people have to see your shit. 
and because you want that pure experience. It's like, look, you have to play ball because at the end of the day, you just want people to watch your movie. Just why can't more, just be like James Gunn. If anyone read that James Gunn article that and they asked him about it, just just be like him, have his stance. Well, it's you know, also in just horrible taste to be worrying about that at a time when you know people are dying. Like you gotta just, you know, I personally am vaccinated and I enjoy going to the movies, but a lot of people just were not even coming close to thinking about that because they had real legitimate fears to worry about. And Christopher Nolan is coming out and saying like, well, why aren't people seeing my movie? Like, dude, shut the fuck up. Just go sit in the corner and think about what you've done. Yeah. I like Denis Villeneuve being like, you know, I'm still not really happy about this whole, like it coming out on HBO max. I was like, well, there's a new variant that people are scared of buddy. I was like, it's causing people to renew trepidation and go into the theater. So I'm sorry. It's coming out on HBO Max. So then people can watch it at home as well. I don't want to do that out of spite now. Well, guess what, Denny? You don't own that movie. Sorry, bro. You don't get to make that choice in in how and where your movie gets shown. That's That's not up to you anymore. It's so condescending to just leave out that accent, Mark, and just call him Denny. Or what I did, Dennis. Just call him Dennis. Or just fucking Dennis, yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, no, it's hot. Like, yeah, it's like, dude, you don't... Do you directors not realize that the studio who's funding your project is the one that... All the people that come up with the release of where and when? Like, it's Oh, no, all they know. The- they absolutely know. It's just that they are so elitist in how they feel their their art should be consumed that there that there's there's no other way it should happen and that there's just, just this pure idea i would love i mean i've been to the movies twice now the last movie i saw in a theater was invisible man i went and i saw suicide squad and then i just saw Candyman. so the last two times and even still i still felt weird going out because there are a bunch of mouth breathers around here who aren't being safe, you know? And then people look at you like you're a weirdo. And I'm just like, maybe you're the weirdo. Like, have you thought about that? Maybe it's you. It's not me, dude. But I also see all those, all those, uh, what's it called? Vaccine mandates are popping up. That's that should be changing soon. I admittedly, I, am probably not the guy who should be talking about this because I full full honesty I've been going to movies consistently since August 2020. Like I've been going since I've gotten back from deployment. So yeah I've you know but I've I've stayed away from people. I wore a mask. I stayed as comfortable as I could. Yeah I'll say I've done what they've asked me to though. You know what I mean? Like when I started going I looked at what the rules are and you know when I, I got back March and it was mask unless you're eating and drinking. There was only two exceptions, and I abided by it. I was like, all right. Once I got fully vaccinated, they dropped it to like, um, you 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 don't have to anymore for fully vaccinated. I went with it. So I was like, well, okay. They said I don't have to fully vaccinated. I'm fully vaccinated. I'm not doing it. My return to the theater. I remember I was so excited because I was like, there's a movie that's out. I need it. Give it to me. Like I'm a fucking junkie. I'm not gonna lie. Uh, it was unhinged with Russell Crowe. Remember that? I've heard of it. I still need to watch it. I've been hearing 
not bad things actually. It's a, it's a, it's good. It's basically you know it's the Hitcher with Russell Crowe, <laughs> but it's good. I it's, liked it. it. I had a good time. Russell, it works for him. No, but his known um, anger issues. <laughs> Honestly, this could just be you know a camera crew followed Russell Crowe around for a day, <laughs> but it's a, it's I enjoyed it. It's a fun movie. Okay. Yeah, yeah, it's in the book. We're going to do it on the podcast eventually. At some point. Yeah. Point is, to those elitist filmmakers, get your heads out of your asses until probably next year, for being completely honest. Like, it, people are trepidatious about going. Apparently, unless it's a horror movie, because I don't know if you guys saw, this already has gone over its budget. So if word of mouth stays positive, another horror box office success. And that has been the one genre still thriving. Thank God. Maybe this will, you know, the consistent success of horror genre of horror films will just, you know, slowly start to overtake every other genre. And then all we have is just horror films coming out of Hollywood. That's it. Is that the world you want to live in? No, (laughs) actually, no, I'm scared of that. Don't curse us. Don't do that. Yeah. That's, that's a catch 22. If there ever was one, I'm not. Nope. No, it won't fucking happen. That will never happen. Like, right? No. Yeah, genre will never die. If anything, it'll just get you know more repetitive. That's that's what I'm more worried about. Like, I'm just worried about the original ideas dying off. Yeah, um, well, that that has been a thing. I've uh, I don't know on the movie crypt. A lot of the directors that Adam and uh, Joe bring on, they mention that a lot about like the Marvel effect, the Avengers effect. You know what that means for cinema yeah oh. well i mean they're they're obviously talking more towards mainstream big yeah. budget hollywood and things like that which the 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 uh the fallback from that or fallout from that is that budgets for independent quote-unquote independent uh productions just keep getting smaller and smaller um if you if you ever watch um, the uh, the last drive-in, uh, Connor, there's a part where um, they're showing Victor Crowley, and Joe Bob brings up the budget, and Adam Green's jaw drops. He's like, "What?" And he's like, "No, no, 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 no. It's like I can't even say how much it was, but it was it it was not what he was quoting it. He was saying it was like four million dollars. He was like, "What?" And like, "No, it would not even." And then and then he literally holds up four fingers and he's like hundred thousand like that's what they made that movie for and it was just like think about that think wow. about that well that's and why they, horror you know consistently makes its money back because you can do so much with so little it, well it's like and and i think a lot of that came from the the boom of the 80s you had this glut of just talented people <coughs> making practical effects and people that were getting extremely creative with how to make something and a lot of the times it was just those spur of the moment decisions and that type of stuff happens on film sets all the time however i think with with horror it's always about time it's always about not you know you 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 don't have enough time and you don't have enough money so you have to make you have to make it work. And there have been a lot of times that just doesn't work, doesn't happen. You get like a lot of stuff that just doesn't stick. But the stuff that does stick is memorable. And that's why you still talk about movies like, you know, um, 
uh, American Werewolf in London or The Howling or um, fucking Candyman, you know, like a lot of those things like that. That's some stuff that like it's it's persisted to this day for that reason. Right on. Uh, yeah, well, you know, especially this year, horror has been fairly reliable in terms of uh, box office return. Um, and I think we're just going to keep seeing that, you know, yeah. like you said, uh, Candyman's already made its budget back. Yeah, they're because of Candyman's success. I was reading, I think it was Blaze Gusting said they were hearing rumblings that now they're expecting there's a lot of renewed faith in films like Halloween Kills, Antlers, and stuff like that good. to do really good at the box office because of what they were seeing with Candyman. Like, okay, so it's great. It's also why Jack asked for probably beat Dune because its budget's 10 million. So I think it, I think it'd be really cool if due to the success of horror this year and horror making its money back and horror kind of helping save the box office that there's like just a little bit more respect. That, that would be nice. That would be nice, wouldn't it? Yeah. That but this is Hollywood. <laughs> I'm not holding my breath. Yeah, yeah I was like, it, that's a great word in my head. It's not reality, though. <laughs> Very much feels like, you know, now go get your fucking shine box kind of deal. <laughs> so. We'll see. <laughs> um, next up, The Power of the Dog. A Netflix Western starring Benedict Cumberbatch, Kirsten Dunst, Jesse Plemons, and Cody Smith McPhee. Hits Netflix December 1st. Now, that's a hell of a cast. Uh, and a really bad title. Yeah, that is a horrible title. I thought it was going to be like the story of like one man's rise as the hot dog king of fucking New York or some shit. I wish like, or like a documentary about a fucking competitive hot dog eater. Like one man, one dream. Like, yeah, I would, I would love that. This is a, uh, looks like a psychological Western. In a world where a man is so hungry, he has to channel the power of the dog. <laughs> like <laughs> what the fuck? Can I just ask? I've been hearing this term a lot, psychological western. What the fuck does that even mean? I don't. It's a western that makes you. I don't fucking know. I don't. I just. I just regurgitate the buzzwords. I don't know what they mean. I. I know. I'm not coming at you. I'm saying, what the fuck is psychological western? Well, it's a western that has. It's like a psychological thriller that's also a western. Uh, Cumberbatch seems like some psycho dude who runs a ranch who's like you know. I don't know. It was a one-minute teaser. You don't really get a lot of information. All right, so this Western with a really awesome cast, horrible title, I'm going to say past Netflix. <laughs> I don't know, man. Kirsten Dunst making movies again? When, like, when was the last movie she was in? Melancholia, I think. At least that's what I remember. She was yeah. the like fairy princess with a trumpet who started the anchor battle in Anchorman 2. That's the last time I remember her. God damn. That was a long time ago. I'm I'm sure she's been in like independent stuff since then. I just haven't been paying attention. Um, So we'll see. Power of the dog. I honestly, it sounds like it could be like, you know, the biopic of dog, the bounty hunter. That's a great title for that. That I would watch. (laughs) I'd watch that in a heartbeat. See that man's biography of catching people. Next up, Spencer, a biopic of Princess Diana, focusing on the time she decided to leave Prince Charles. 
uh, stars Kristen Stewart as Diana, hits theaters November 5th. I had my reservations about this because I thought there's thousands of British actresses and you're going to cast fucking Kristen Stewart as Princess Diana. But then I saw the trailer and I'm like, she's probably going to win an Oscar for this. Uh, yeah this is gonna be transformative as shit i am looking forward to this yeah i actually saw the trailer for this one um not something i'm I'm personally rushing to see but uh no you're right uh with christian stewart but i think like if you pay attention like interviews and stuff for her like a lot like art patterson twilight was a stepping stone for her i don't she does not give a shit as much about that franchise either well, here's the thing. I've seen the proof from Pattinson of him becoming a legitimate, you know, very talented performer. I admittedly get to see that from Kristen Stewart. I feel like so, she spent more time marred in like fucking private shit that kept getting put on newspapers. And I was like, I don't care about what director she's cheating with or what. <laughs> I don't know. I thought Snow White and the Huntsman sucked. Uh, that's it. I, I liked the hunts. You know, it's funny. Apparently, all of the movie industry did too, because when they made the sequel, it was just the Huntsman. They were like, let's keep the part that everyone liked for the sequel. I haven't seen the sequel. I'm I'm not clamoring to either. Did either of you guys see Underwater? Yeah, yeah. She's good in that actually. Well, we'll see. I like I said, this looks Spencer looks phenomenal. I'm excited to see, you know, how she tackles this. Not only is like, you know, she's an American playing a British icon. Like this, this, this could either, you know, uh, this could go either way, but I'm, I'm leaning towards the positive. I say for prep, you should watch Underwater just to see the proof of her having good acting jobs. She's good in that. Yeah, I might. I'd, I'd like to, you know, go through some of her recent stuff, see if, you know, my opinion has changed. Yeah. Yeah. Like I said, she's got that one. Uh, if you can get past TJ Miller, he's in it. I fucking hate that guy. He's he's not in it for long, but he's in it. Surprise, considering. Didn't he, like, call in a fake bomb threat or something? Like, wasn't he going to prison for a while? Remember that? There, well, there's fake bomb threat. I thought there were allegations with him also. I get so fucking mixed up on who has allegations on stuff now. He's got allegations also, but like the bomb threat was the shocker. I'm like, yeah, of I course think, he's got allegations. I think, I think that was all that happened when he was already done filming Underwater. Uh, I know he's not in Deadpool 3. They've made no that abundantly clear. Yeah. Um, finally, the big one, Spider-Man No Way Home. We have confirmation that Dr. Octopus and Green Goblin from the Raimi trilogy are returning, as well as speculation on Sandman, Electro, and the Lizard hits theaters December 17th. And yeah, this was everything I'd dreamed it would be and more. <laughs> I, I, I'm more, I might be more excited about this than I was about Endgame. Like, this is going to be insane. Did you need a minute after the trailer? I, yeah, I needed a couple. Like, <laughs> the Raimi villains are back. We're actually doing this multiverse thing. Like, God bless you, Kevin Feige. Holy shit, you know what we want. Yeah, no, th- this actually looks really good. Uh, Long-ass teaser. I, when I saw it was like three minutes, I said official teaser. I was like, it's three minutes long. I was like, what the fuck? <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, it looks really good. Um, it looks like uh, Tom Holland and Bennett Cumberbatch will be a lot of fun to watch together. I know, yeah. obviously, we got to taste that with 
Avengers if anyone in game, but really just them in this movie and a lot of what they introduced, but like continuing on obviously from that stinger at the end, the second film should be a lot of fun to watch as well. And again, yeah, I've seen all the fucking villains, maybe prior Spider-Man's, you know, should be exciting. There's not a maybe. Let's be honest here. That that's happening. I mean, if they're already pulling other characters and and they're talking about more, you kind of have to because you're already teasing the Sinister Six at this point. And I mean, one Spider-Man can do it, but how much fun would it be to see three Spider-Men do it? it well, would, also, there was a set photo leaked that showed like Maguire and Garfield taking a break. So I didn't see, I didn't see that set photo because I try not to look at leaked photos, Connor. I can't so, help it. I can't help I've it. I've been trying to stay as like not knowing as much about this movie as possible. So because I don't want to get too, I don't want to get hyped up too much for like all the Spider-Mans and then walk away disappointed. Get hyped up. It's happening. <laughs> like I will get hyped when I see it on December 17th. Yeah. I believe. Yeah. Day after my birthday. Yeah. My God. Uh, think of the implications, like what this opens up for future, poss- like future films. Like they can go back into anything now and, you know, bring back stuff who like people who want to come back, you know, if fucking eventually Hugh Jackman does want to be Wolverine again, he fucking can. That would be awesome. I know it, it's he sounds pretty like hard. I'm not wanting to come back, but God, that would be so awesome. Yeah, but see, but that also opens the door for them to have other people play other play the same characters too. So <laughs> I, think, I think it's a very smart move to use that to their advantage. I mean, it worked pretty well all throughout Loki and kind of how they managed to show you all the different ways that these characters can and do exist um because i don't know about you guys but i was pretty uh i was pretty uh smitten with old uh old classic loki he was he was like my favorite iteration yeah Yeah. i fucking love richard e grant anyway and that was just awesome (laughs) yeah he was awesome i liked him a lot yeah, this whole variant thing is going to open up insane possibilities. We're going to see so much that I never even begun to thought any studio would have the balls to try. Well, it's just the fact that, like you guys were saying, like Marvel's embracing it. You know, DC has done this weird, like one minute they're doing multiverse, one minute they're not. Like DC's so fucking weird about it, you can't get excited. And Marvel's like just saying, nope, fuck it, multiverse. Anyone can play these roles. You can get all these different versions of it. Have fun. Like it's that possibility is so exciting and on a, on a purely like business end of it, really smart. Cause then you can just keep these characters going for however fucking long you want. Oh yeah. I mean, you know, Sony's probably, you know, I, I, I heard an executive executive from Sony said that he and Mar- like they've been Marvel been talking about bringing Venom and Morbius into the MCU through this multiverse way. And that'd be just fucking great. Even if it's for like a little cameo, just knowing that they are, you know, sharing a screen is it's nice you know as a guy who you know i grew up with all this shit with these comic books and action figures and cartoons and just imagine my own scenarios where like you know spider-man and like you know some other spider-man toy i had fought together and like killed batman or some shit it's just now i'm gonna get to see that shit (laughs) like it's it's a it's a warm feeling it's cool 
it's it's almost like i mean they're embracing the inner kid you know what i mean like they're yeah. fully embracing the inner kid especially now that they bought you know fox which i was worried about that buy but at this point fox you just played fucking ball and he could have still been a studio <laughs> well and also it's really cool to ha- finally have fans in positions of power to make this happen because that's why because feige is a marvel comics fan who just happens to be in charge of marvel studios <laughs> so fuck that fuck yeah man like it's the same thing with like dave filoni and star wars like mm-hmm. these are people who grew up with this stuff and want to see it done right yeah, and then you, you've we've seen from experience the ones that that's not the case, right? Like when Kathleen Kennedy was in charge of the movie Star Wars, we saw how those fucking films turned out. Yep. Or the whole crapshoot that's been going on with DC and Warner Brothers' relationship. Like it's clearly not a DC fan, and from on Warner Brothers' end, that's in charge of that. It's just someone that's whatever we can do to get these to make money because they're superhero comics that we own. Yeah, get them to make money and. Yeah, it's nice. Like Marvel just kills it. I have no doubt that this film's gonna be pretty fucking awesome. Um, so this is the only film this year that I see as having like potentially getting to a billion dollar box office gross. Well, apparently the trailer they said outmatched the views of Endgame, I believe. Yeah, and the trailer convinced hours. Sony to not delay Venom again. Yeah. Yeah, that oh that was another thing. I, yeah. Being directors, that that was pissing me off with Sony and the whole Venom thing. It's like Sony, I get it, you want to make money off Venom, but you're not. Like, just those are the facts, Sony. Like, you release it now and just take what you get out of it, or you keep delaying it to where eventually people do not care anymore. Make your money back on the back end with you know streaming numbers and potential you know download sales. Yeah, get it best you can hope for. Yeah, get it while people are still interested and they will go and see it. Those who are you know, willing to do it, and uh, yeah, you'll make your back in on the streamer streaming stuff and all that good stuff. I say, way, you know, make money with Blu-ray sales, but that's that's not happening anymore. We're we're a minority now, unfortunately. Yeah. But damn shame. I literally bought four Blu-rays two days ago. I'm very I, I wish I could say I'd buy them, but until I am closer to moving in with Josh, I'm holding off on buying Blu-rays right now. I get that. I'm settled and comfortable. I can buy whatever I want. Yeah. Once I get settled um, and comfortable, I shall continue to buy more. But right now I'm holding off. Yeah. Um, By the way, you can check out all these trailers and more, as well as thousands of film reviews on filmgasm.com. That is F-I-L-M-G-A-Z-M.com. And I know we are very deep into this podcast, and this is like the first time ever I'm plugging the website, but fuck it. You got to start somewhere. (laughs) What, all that matters. You start now. <laughs> so check out filmgasm.com when you get a chance. It's really cool. Or you can always send us an email at filmgasm at gmail.com. There you go. Yeah. Support the show and we will support you. <laughs> I, I got I got no plugs. I'm I'm here. You're on the website. Listen to our show. <laughs> <laughs> um well, those are the trailers. Uh I'm you know, I'll watch anything. I'll give anything a chance. I just, you know, don't really have a lot of faith in Netflix anymore. But Spider-Man and Spencer, I'm very much going to be in line for. Spider-Man, yep. I know. Yeah, what a surprise. The horror guys aren't lining up to see a biopic on Princess Diana. (laughs) Whatever. I'll see it for all of us because it's going to be good. As long as you're happy, that's all that matters. All I care about. And you know what? I've said before, once they do the biopics on 
people I'm really interested in, like that upcoming announced Texas Chainsaw one. Yeah, I'll be in line for that. Absolutely. Till then, keep doing your biopics. Proud of you, buddy. I like I like these movies. <laughs> it's not a chore. I look forward to this stuff. <laughs> uh, Beverly Cop, Beverly Hills Cop Four, is moving ahead at Netflix with Eddie Murphy returning to the role of Axel Foley. Uh, this has been in the works potentially for a very long time uh, with coming to America. Uh, looks like Eddie Murphy's revisiting a lot of old favorites. And uh, I only saw the first Beverly Hills Cop and uh, I thought it was all right. You got to give it another shot because I've heard it's a classic. But uh, yeah, we'll see where this goes. I think Eddie Murphy's having a pretty decent comeback lately. I really liked Dolomite is my name and I thought coming to America was good. I'm in the minority on that, but I liked it. Fuck it. So, I mean, I enjoyed parts of it. Um, it, it, it. I think it was written in a way that it definitely um, used a lot of the right references from the original film. And now this just makes me think, are we going to get uh, yet another 48 hours? And yes, that's what I'm saying. The title will be yet another 48 hours. It's a great title. And yeah, like what else does Nick Nolte have going on right now? He ain't got shit going on. <laughs> fucking he can sit there and scowl and fucking groan and grumble and you know, almost get ready to call Eddie Murphy a racial slur, get all pissed off at him. Well, yeah, this will uh I'm sure this will be a hit. I, I'd like to, you know, I gotta sit down and watch one again and then two and three. Uh because they're, they're I've heard they're decent. Yeah, admittedly, I haven't seen the Beverly Hills Cops movies yet. So, if anything, this is just a chance for me to finally watch the first three whenever they finally get to put a release date on this movie. Yeah, there so, you go. Yeah, it, it'll be a chance to finally watch those. Like you, I really like Dolomite is my name. That was a really good movie. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I'll, I'll give it a shot. I also haven't seen Coming to America 2 yet. I think it came out like right when I was coming back from deployment. And I, it just kind of slipped past me. Yeah, it was the first like loaded weekend of this show where um, I remember um, Austin and I took it and then um, Brianna uh, joined us that week as well. It was like coming to America, Moxie, uh, Raya and the Last Dragon, Boss Level. Like, it was a big weekend. God. And oh. I watched everything and gave my two cents. And that was when I was like, you know what? I can do this. And then as we've run along, I'm like, you know what? No, I can't. <laughs> It, you know, it'd be one thing if, again, they did the occasional, I mean, like one or two weekend, but there was like seven releases, but it seems like because they can't move anything, because they're trying to try to catch up in this year so that 2022 isn't fucking packed, everything's fucking coming out. And it's like so many weekends of like, do you want to watch seven or eight films in three days? And I'm like, no, I don't. Not at yeah. all. It's not fun. <laughs> and nobody's getting, you know, I'm not getting any enjoyment out of this. If anything, I'm just kind of waiting for it to be over so I can put on the next one before I run out of time. <laughs> oh, boy. This is interesting and something I know uh, you guys are going to be very into. Um, Anya Taylor-Joy has been cast in a lead role in Robert Eggers' Nosferatu remake, uh, which is finally getting off the ground. And, well, uh, after like three or four more movies, he does. If you if you read the whole thing, okay. Yeah, well, we got the Northman, which is gonna be cool, and then a bunch of other shit. And then those frauds, but it is gonna happen. And uh, fans want either Robert Pattinson or Willem Dafoe to play Count Orlock. 
and either one would be hilarious because Defoe already kind of did with Shadow of the Vampire, and Pattinson playing another vampire would just be delightful. Yeah, I, I'm cool with either one. I'd say give it to Pattinson just because he, I'm sure he's probably a little more hungry for stuff. Defoe's been in the game for a while. He he is fine on movies, but at the same time, I love Defoe, and it would be cool to see him as Count Orlock. So, well, go watch Shadow of the Vampire. Then. Go watch. Okay. <laughs> Yeah, but still, um, neat that they're doing Nosferatu again. Well, did you ever see uh, Werner Herzog's uh, version of Nosferatu? I've seen the twenties one, but I have not yet seen Herzog's version. Same. It's um, it's it's almost like I won't say shot for shot, but it is like pretty. It, it holds pretty close to um, Murnau's uh, film. Because he was very much uh, trying to um, build off of what he did, um, and Klaus Kinski is like, it's really, it's a really, uh, it's a really interesting experience. Um, yeah, I, I encourage you to to check that out. I would, I would wonder of like what kind of direction Eggers is going to go in. Is he gonna? Is he gonna go for color or is he gonna go black and white? You know, like I think, I think that's gonna be uh, an interesting, um, an interesting thing to see, like how he goes about doing it. And as far as my two cents on who should go for that, I think, I think Pattinson could be a an interesting choice, um, but I also feel like seeing Willem Dafoe again as Count Orlock would be would be something else because really less time in the makeup chair. He's already got a lot of those features. I'd like to throw a third name in the ring. Someone who has already worked with Eggers and I think would be fantastic. Ralph Innocent. Okay. Okay. Yeah. It would be interesting because I mean, one of his defining features is that dude's like a voice and yeah. it would be a role where you wouldn't really talk a lot, but that would be okay. Well, and with the Green Knight, I've seen how good he is at playing weirdly, you know, painted creatures. So okay. I think that he'd be really good at that and cheap. <laughs> True. I will I will say, you know, between, you know, what Eggers doing this kind of has me excited because unlike another person that I kind of I kind of put him not trying to say I'm comparing these two, but because they kind of roughly came out around the same time, him and uh, Ari Aster. Yeah. Um, I did the same yeah, whereas Aster really kind of fell off for me with Midsummer, and then a lot of comments he made that makes makes me think he's really not that big into horror. He just happened to do films in it. Um, Edgar's, I liked. I don't know what the fuck happened to Lighthouse, but I liked it. I remember going like, I don't know what happened to me, but I I like it strangely enough. Um, and he seems to enjoy the genre, and I just I like both his films a lot more, and I'm definitely curious what he will bring to like you were saying josh what he'll bring to this take on it once he gets around to that like i said i know he has like two three something films for sure the northman and some quick other stuff he's doing before he gets to it but i'm definitely curious well i'm with you on that i you know i thought the witch is one of the most brilliant horror films of the decade and then the lighthouse i didn't know what the fuck was going on i couldn't follow the plot if there even was one i don't think there was but i walked away from that film and thought that was pretty good. And that's weird for me, especially because I, if I, the movie doesn't have a story, I'm like, fuck this, I'm out. But the lighthouse 
Something about that movie just... It had a really strong visual style with him going black and white and the aspect ratio. I think it was a four to three, if I'm correct. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, and just the performances from Defoe and Pass and like really made me kind of go like, I don't know what's going on, but like, I'm entranced. I'm, I'm, I, I can't, I'm hypnotized. I can't look away from what I'm fucking watching. Granted, much like Josh described when he showed movies on the boat, I had a lot of people coming up to me because I saw it on deployment going, dude, what the fuck are you watching? I was like, oh, The Lighthouse. And then I'd go back to the movie. <laughs> no explanation. Just, yeah, it's, it's, I'm fucking watching The Lighthouse. Shut up. <laughs> That's one I'd love to redo. That was a bonus episode on Filmgasm early on. And I'd love to revisit that movie. But, you know, Austin might want to save that for Oscar Sunday because it was up for cinematography. So it does count. Well, there is there is a lot of interesting things that um eggers was doing in that movie and like there was some weird lovecraftian things that he was trying to trying to use and some of the symbolism that was going on in there and that to me is probably one of the more um interesting aspects of it way more interesting than you know willem defoe's farts um and robert pattinson's vendetta against the seagull um just just because people have the hardest time trying to um visualize what happens in lovecraft's work and for somebody to do it and do it well i think and what that does because color out of space for me is probably one of the best adaptations that have that's come out in a while and just how it makes how it brings out that sense of dread that is in a lot of his work and how it's 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 done in such a way that like you don't even feel it happening until it's already like consumed you and you're just like oh shit like what the fuck is what the fuck am i reading what the fuck am i seeing like what is going on and then you have no idea what is even happening and what's real and what's not and and it just drives you nuts in 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 a good way and i i mean i i say that because i'm a huge fan of lovecraft um all of his personal matters aside he's one of the most influential uh writers in american literature and to 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 know that his influence is still felt now is remarkable yeah absolutely um i've never really been one for lovecraft myself mostly because it's just to me it's very dense i'm sure i'll find something uh but yeah the lighthouse definitely has his mark on it. Uh, and I think Eggers has proven himself to be one of the most interesting filmmakers right now. And I, I Nosferatu especially seems right up his alley. Yeah. Like I said, he hasn't really done what Astor's done and shied away from horror and like, been like, he, he seems to very much enjoy it. I, I know the Northman, if I'm correct, isn't really meant to be a horror film. Like it's a much different, it's like a Viking revenge movie. Right. But I mean, the fact that he's still willing to, again, you know, step outside, stretch his rings, do some other stuff like any filmmaker would want to do and then be like, well, I also really want to, you know, remake Nosferatu for a modern audience. And especially, like I said, like you were talking about, like what he did with the lighthouse, you know, if that honestly, if that movie had come out, I'd be like, I don't know if he should be the one to do it. But yeah, like between the lighthouse and what he put off with that and, Thinking actually of it now, you know, Josh brings up that sense of tread. We both comment on it when we went to go watch it with the witch, the constant sense of 
tread yeah. throughout that fucking movie. Like that he, movie has one of the most harsh, just brilliant atmospheres I've ever seen. That yeah, that movie is so, a you know a constant you know bomb about to explode. Exactly. So there's there's no doubt in my mind that if like anyone would be able to kind of probably do this justice and do it right, it would be Robert Eggers. Like I have a lot of hope in him doing this. Yeah. I wish it was coming out a little bit sooner, but I will let him. Obviously, I'll wait. I have no choice for him to do his other stuff, and I'll watch his other stuff. I'm very excited for the Northmen. So, oh, me too. Yeah, I think next year is going to be a very interesting uh, run for this show. Uh, the Northman is set for next year, right? I believe so. I believe so. I'll double check, but I don't want to say it is. Um, Jake Gyllenhaal is going to be starring in an adaptation of Robert Kirkman's graphic novel, Oblivion Song. Uh, Do you guys know that comic? No, I do not. Is he going to shower for this movie? (laughs) Oh, my God. Was he on the pro or anti-shower side? I forget. He was anti. He was anti-shower. God damn it, Jake. I don't know. It's the sci-fi. Maybe it's some kind of laser bath. I don't know. <laughs> uh, to actually answer your question, no, I haven't the comic. I just had to get that out of my system. Proceed. Uh, yeah, I know nothing about this. Uh, Robert Kirkman is an insanely talented writer, so I'm sure it's a great story, and uh, I just hope it doesn't fall down the, you know, Valyrian passenger's path. Like, I want it to be know a memorable sci-fi adventure we don't get a lot of those these days and the ones they do try to make memorable they like they pump the marking machine into seem to not ever really make much of an impression was the last time either you guys sat down and watched ender's game never yeah there you go so here's hoping (laughs) i got nothing else to say about this (laughs) (laughs) all Uh, i have to say is shake Please, please shower for the love of God. You're, do it for your coworkers. Do it for your fans. And do it for yourself. Respect yourself, man. You're if, better than that. If two of the biggest dudes in Hollywood and Jason Momoa and The Rock can find time to shower, The Rock finds time to shower three times a fucking day, as he said. I think you can, too, because you're not nearly as big as them, buddy. Here's the thing. It's it's not that hard to find time to shower. Like, no. <sighs> do it when you wake up and do it before you go to bed. Yeah, seriously, it's that easy. <laughs> oh, this is this ongoing. I can't believe this is even a fucking debate. <laughs> Just clean yourself, you nasty bastard. It's, I can't believe it's a debate, but admittedly, of all the debates happening in America, it's the most entertaining for me. Because you yeah. can talk about this one at least, and no one gets angry. <laughs> I'm getting pretty fucking angry. <laughs> this is ridiculous. <laughs> Oh, boy. Well, moving on. The fourth Matrix movie is confirmed to be titled The Matrix Resurrections, and a trailer is on its way. Film comes out late December. Uh, just has one Wachowski. Uh, not, they're not both of them are handling this one. I think it's Lily or it's Lana. Lana. I don't fucking know. I believe it's Lana. I think Lily made the comment because they asked her recently in an interview you know, why you didn't come back. She's like, I just didn't want to go backwards. I think it was like right after like her trans transition and all this other stuff was going on. She's like, I just really didn't want to revisit other stuff. That didn't speak to me creatively. And I was like, well, no offense. I don't think of something outside of the matrix. I was a huge financial success for y'all. But what the fuck do I know? 
you'd be such a great celebrity interviewer. Just like, well, what about your string of failures? How do you feel about that? Yeah, right. <laughs> How about anything else that people remember outside of the Matrix? You think your creativity peaked in 1999? What are your thoughts on that? <laughs> Just what? Jesus. By the way, I have this. I have this poster for the Matrix. Could you could you sign that, please? Could you sign my Speed Racer Hot Wheels, please? <laughs> what, what, what are your takes on the shitty two sequels you made to the Matrix? Go on, explain. Cloud Atlas. What was that? Why? <laughs> I actually kind of like Cloud Atlas personally. I did not. I hated Cloud Atlas. I actually, but, I actually just wanted to see if you could give me my time back. Let's. <laughs> <laughs> I paid uh, thirteen forty. To see Speed Racer, um, do I give this to you or to your sister or what's this? How's this going to work? <laughs> do you guys want to share and just you know go have these and pay me back? I mean, really, I don't care. I just, I, I just want my money back. Six for you, seven for Lana. That seems fair. <laughs> Can you guys just you know make another movie as good as The Matrix? Is it is it in you at this point? Or are you done? <laughs> Let's. Should I expect another Jupiter Ascending sometime soon? Ooh, ouch. That's one of the worst movies I've ever seen. Oh, well, anyway, The Matrix Resurrections. <laughs> <laughs> I kind of hope this gets back to them somehow. Um, we've got, you know, Keanu Reeves is returning to play Neo. Um, Carrie Ann Moss returning for Trinity. Uh, and then uh, I think um, Jada Pinkett Smith returning as Niobe. Everyone but Lawrence Fishburne. He apparently was not satisfied. Larry Fish, no Hugo Weaving. Uh, anybody doesn't like returning to characters, it's Hugo Weaving, unless, of course, it's Elrond. He probably was told well in advance on that one. <laughs> I, I don't know. I think they missed a big opportunity to call this The Matrix Rebooted. <laughs> I was really, I was betting heavily that's what they were going to call this. Uh, that's too are. on the nose. That's too on the nose. Yeah. Was it? Was it? Was that old Halloween title for a long time? Halloween Returns or whatever. God, that that was on the nose. But then they got rid of it. So then they could just turn around and do Halloween Ends for the final one in the trilogy. Yeah. Final All one. Right. Yeah. Sure. <laughs> okay. Like I'm not gonna see Michael Myers every two or three years till the day I fucking die. Do you know they're going to let it die? And then, like, the rights are finally get cleared over Friday the 13th. They're, I, they might announce a new nightmare, and then those two will come out. And next thing they're going to be like, oh, shit, those two are out. We got to do another Halloween, guys. We can't let Mikey sit in the back corner. <laughs> yeah, but then, you know, like, John Carpenter will sue somebody for rights, and then that shit will be in legal court, like, legal hell for 15 years. No, John Carpenter don't care. He's like, just pay me. That's all he gives a shit about. He's the he's, fucking money. Yeah, he's exactly what fucking Sean S. Cunningham should be. And to an extent, Victor, Mer- I'll never forget the comment that the two actresses made at Crypticon when we went to that panel. That's pretty funny. That was funny. Well, I, I don't think we need a fourth Matrix. I don't like this is unnecessary. I mean, I've got my own issues with Reloaded and Revolutions, but overall, I don't hate them. Uh, decent finale i like when you know neo and smith fight in that like you know rainy smith filled matrix and they're both superman i think it's cool I, uh, 
I'm not really, I look, I am loving the Kanye Reeves Renaissance thanks to John Wick. As much as everyone, I liked the uh, third Bill and Ted movie a lot. The Revisance. The Revisance. But I just, I've only, honestly, I've only liked the first Matrix. I don't care for Reloaded and Revolutions. I I get it. I get it. I did when I was a kid. I won't lie. When I first watched, I was like, these are awesome. I got older and I tried watching it again when I actually had, could pay attention to the story a little bit more. And I was like, well, okay. As in, like, I was able to watch the second one go, like, you're fucking so convoluted for no goddamn reason. And then the third one drops everything because they realized they were too convoluted. And I was like, oh, goddammit. When, uh, when two wannabe filmmakers stumble onto philosophy, this is what you get. Yeah. I, I feel like they were fine in the first movie. Like, they had the perfect balance, and they went way too far into it in the second. And then Scout dialed it way down the third to the point that things were just kind of dropped down nowhere. And um, so, yeah, I'm just, I'm not excited for this. Like, awesome that Karen Reeves is coming back, but I'm just not excited for Matrix Resurrections. What I've been doing for the past few years in regards to my Matrix watches, I watched the first one all the way through. It's a fucking classic. I watched it on the plane on my way to see you. Um, with two and three, I mostly skip all the Zion shit and pretty much just watch the fights. Uh. I love Hugo Weaving as Smith, especially a freed Smith. I love that whole concept. The scene where Neo's fighting like a, a bunch of them. I think that's cool. It looks pretty weak these days, but I still think it's fun. I was going to say, but that's the other thing with the fight scenes. Like, you just do the fight scenes right. Like the first film is filled. I mean, yes, I know the first one has CGI, obviously. But a lot of the actual fight scenes were practical mm-hmm. and were artworks driven. And like they just said, fuck that. And yeah. two and three, it went CGI heavy fight scenes that have not aged fucking well at all. I agree. I'm in no way arguing that the Matrix is even close to the same level as two and three. The Matrix is an, a legendary classic that's going to last forever. Two and three have their moments, mostly because I watched them as a kid and was like, this, this is kind of cool, I think. <laughs> and <laughs> I don't understand what's coming out of the mouth with action scenes. I love like when Smith like shoves his hand into somebody and they turn into Smith. I was like, oh, shit, <laughs> that's neat. And I don't know. I'm a, I'm a fucking child at heart. I get that. And this fourth one, you know, maybe it'll have something going for it. I don't know. I know that Keanu didn't cut his hair because he's, you know, contractually obligated for like 300 John Wick movies. <laughs> <laughs> he has but, to keep the hair and beard. <laughs> or at least the hair. He gets rid of the beard every so often. You know, he does not. He looks so much older with, without the beard. I know when I watched Bone Ted, like, face the music, I was like, Keanu, like, Come on, man. You got to keep that beard because you look way younger. Yeah. Like, Jesus. (laughs) To quote Ted. Whoa. (laughs) I, all three of those movies are fun as shit. I love the Bill and Ted franchises. Yep. Oh, yeah. Yeah. All three are consistently funny movies. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm so happy three ended up being good because that could have been just such a train wreck we made fun of forever. But it was entertaining and had just full of heart and you could tell that they still are such good friends yeah well i think that was a big thing i remember um seeing the announcement for that and how you could just tell how excited they were i think those two really are a huge reason that they're going to work so well because you could just tell that they wanted to do this and they were so excited when it finally got greenland and they were like got the go to do it so yeah you could tell like yeah moving on 
Kelvin Harrison Jr. has been cast as a young Mufasa in Barry Jenkins' Lion King prequel. Um, yeah, they're doing a prequel to the live action, well, quote unquote, live action Lion King. Uh, Barry Jenkins is doing it, and it's Mufasa's story. Uh, nobody cares. I, I was like, I don't, I don't care. I have not been into this fucking Disney live action thing they've been doing with their cartoons. I fucking I hated care. the Lion King remake. I was like, why, why do this? This is so. Have, it just drained all the heart and soul out of the Lion King. I have yet to watch it because I was like, you're telling it. The fact that when the trailer to me made it look like a shock for shot remake, I'm like, then why should I watch this when I have the cartoon that has stood the test of time? I think. They think they took the the mu- the songs out, so they took out one of the highlights of the fucking cartoon. I might give me a second here. I might be wrong about that. Are you? I was gonna say, are you shitting me right now? I know that they took Scar's song away. Be prepared was like in spoken word and was so weird. Uh, the voice town James Earl Jones sounds so so done so old and so like i don't care anymore oh man um lion king 22 all right so they didn't take the songs out they just kind of retooled them where they don't sound as great yeah so now we get to see that again so this is where all the money goes into this into this shit that nobody asked for nobody wanted that still the lion king 2019 billion dollars box office success because it made a billion dollars is why yep that that makes no that to me shows how stupid people are just how dumb they are to go see a movie that you've already seen before and you literally had it just they put new bread on a shit sandwich and said there you go well, I took a big fat bite of that shit sandwich because I saw it at the movies. I I didn't enjoy myself, but I was there. I uh, yeah, I have yet to sit through it. I, I, you know, I, mean, I just don't I just don't see the point. Like it's the same yeah. damn movie. Like I I don't think I've seen anything that they've redone yet. I've I've seen all of them except Lady and the Tramp. I didn't see that one. Um Honestly, they're all most of them are good. Like the Jungle Book, I thought it was great. Wait, no, I did see the Jungle Book because that was what Bill Murray was blue, right? Yeah. yeah. Yes, I did see that. And that admittedly was not as terrible as I thought it was going to be. However, it's just it is the epitome of everything that I just I can't stand about what Hollywood does. It is literally like they, they are so brazen that they will just say, this is what we're going to do. And you guys are going to love it because you don't care enough to think about what you're trying to watch. Yeah, I get that. Yeah, totally. I, you know, I fucking hate remakes for the most part. Um, Disney's, they definitely, they started strong with, you know, Cinderella, Jungle Book, Beauty and the Beast, I thought was great. Since then, though, they've really just kind of given up because they know we'll fucking eat anything. Like Mulan sucked so bad. I hated Mulan. So like... I haven't been watching. I'm like Josh. Well, I've, I've kind of stopped watching a lot of these remakes recently because I'll admit, at first I was watching them when uh, what was it? The one with uh, Angelina Jolie, Maleficent. Yeah, I didn't when care for that one. 
see, I like that one because it wasn't the same fucking story. It was just told from a different viewpoint and gave like background on her. So I was like, okay, if you're going to do it where it's like a different story within your fucking cartoon you've already done, I can take that. I can I can deal. So I didn't mind that movie. I actually ended up kind of going, oh, that wasn't too bad. But then, like you, you know, I watched, I did watch, you know, I mean, I watched Cinderella and Beauty and the Beast and Jungle Book. And I sat there all three going, it's the same fucking movie as the cartoon. I was like, yeah, they're not terrible. Like they're well-made films, but holy shit. And then when I started, like, I think it was when after seeing those and then seeing the trailer to Lion King, I'm like, I'm done Disney. I was like, I'm not, no. I was like, I'm not, you're not getting the fucking money for me because holy shit, you're just brazenly remaking the same fucking movie without doing anything different except maybe take out the songs like they did in Milan, I believe. So yeah, they did. Yeah. I like yeah. The gorilla. I did not mind because again, it told it from a different fucking viewpoint and it was more of an Nordstrom gorilla. So I was fine with that. The worst sin Mulan committed was taking away the message that any little girl can be strong if they try. Because in Mulan, the remake, she is blessed with like magic chi powers. And that's how she manages to like defeat the, the Huns. And that completely erases the point of the cartoon is that anybody can be strong if they believe they are. Like that's the whole point of the movie. And it's just, just like, fuck, man. What a. Yeah. So Mulan soured it for me. And now, I mean, I'm going to watch him because of this fucking show, but my heart's not in it anymore. Yeah, like I said, if they would do more things like Maleficent and Corella, where it's like a different story told within it, I'm down. But these just shot for shot fucking remakes. It's like, Jesus Christ, Disney. You have the cartoon. You do not need to do it live action. I know. Yeah, it's just, you know, we had a super successful movie then, and we know we'll make a billion dollars again. It's a sure thing. That's what it is. It's a sure thing. Yeah, well, I mean, and that's why I always say, like, Disney, if it isn't Marvel or, like, their animated output, I'm really never that impressed with, because uh, along with that, the other thing that bugs me on the live-action side of it is them constantly trying to chase the Pirates of the Caribbean fucking success with yeah. every goddamn theme park movie ride they do. Yep. It's like, they just don't stop, and they don't even seem to rem- they seem to forget the part where, like, after the third Pirates, like, they're fucking box office hall was going down with the last two movies that's not true with on stranger things that was a huge box office success that that was over a billion gross god damn it of course yeah so while quality dipped money didn't and that's that's all they care about yeah well yeah so i'm looking forward to doing the lion king prequel next like in a few years I'm, I'm not, I don't need, that's a prequel I don't need the story for on that one. I don't care for prequels to begin with. I, I, I feel like they're often, you know, restricted by what they can do. Uh, it's hard to be creative. It's hard to tell a story we don't already know, like every bit of. Well, There's we, a very few prequels out there I enjoy. We've talked about before on the podcast, I'm sure Josh probably feels roughly the same way. If you're, especially in horror, man, if you're going down the prequel route, that means you've run out of ideals for a sequel. Like you've run out of stories to tell. You don't know where to go from your last movie. So you're like, oh, we'll just do a fucking prequel. Because you know what's going, you know how it's going to end, you know what it's going to lead to. So it's an easy fucking thing to do. Friday the 13th is kind of fucked there because Jason died as a child. Not necessarily, no. They can so, always rewrite that. Oh, so if you if you really think about it, the the way the um 
the way the the story goes is that they they never like like they said they never found his body so like they don't know that he drowned and when he shows up in part two he's still a man Hmm. you don't the final chapter he's supposed to he's supposed to actually die there part five he's not in it because that's the ambulance driver roy and then and only in part six jason lives is he actually in a coffin and is resurrected but i mean i wouldn't care about this but i know you guys wouldn't this piss off the fans if they erased that piece of jason's mythology which part that he drowned in crystal lake oh. well no like that's so there's a um and i brought his name up before um the filmmaker ted gagan that i've um, mentioned before he did uh we are still here um he he said it quite a few times on twitter where he like lays out his bullet points for it and <clears throat> like he jason comes back and like sees his mom get her head cut off because how else is how else is he going to be in possession of her head in part two where he's got his little mama shrine and <clears throat> part three all the way through part four he was he was alive until tommy jarvis killed him and then when he brings him back in part six that's when we get the whole zombie jason fucking weird fucking supernatural monster that we have yeah. and a lot of people and, and it's funny because a lot of people that are huge friday the 13 fans just it just totally glossed over them they just didn't they just never picked up on it and when it's explained in 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 such a way where you're like you know nobody ever found his you know like because they even say it to they even say it to alice right at the end they're like well we never found a body you know there were there, there was no boy we didn't you know and then they're like oh shit where it fucking happened to him that's why he is like a grown-ass man essentially you know there is and there is also the whole idea that if you are buying into that the only way that that does come out or you even like have that as a possibility is in everybody's favorite sequel jason goes to hell where you see the necronomicon at the house and that was um that was the director adam marcus kind of you know, giving a wink and a nod to Sam Raimi and the Evil Dead movies, but also putting his own spin on it. And the only reason I know this is because I watched the special features on the Shout Factory collection they put out where Adam Marcus is even talking about it. And he's like, you know, wouldn't it be interesting if Pamela Voorhees in such a grief-stricken moment came across this book and found a way to bring her son back, but what she brought back wasn't her son, looked like her son, but it was not. And that's when like, you know, you start getting this whole, you know, is Jason actually a deadite? And it just gets to the end of this whole fucking series of movies where it's just so convoluted. And you're just like, fuck, like they fucked, they fucked themselves so many times that, you know, you, you kind of just have to take these movies at face value and just not try to think so hard. Yeah. Like, Cause they are what they are, you know, titties and blood and just, have some fun. Yeah, I think the I think the beauty is if you do that, you just take at face value. The movies themselves really don't do lots of explaining on backstory. 
So, like, you could get away with, yeah, doing some good backstory stuff um, if you wanted to, just for the hell of it. Um, and as far as, like, the whole Jason drowning thing, the, like Josh said, uh, the only people that would get, like, pissy are those people that are, like, either diehard fans to the point that they're almost gatekeepers. Like, they were the, they'd be the only ones crying to foul. Everyone else would be like, no, you know what? Let's, let's see what they got to do with this because it's, like, going to be the 13th film anyway, so let's see what we got. Oh, it's the 13th film? Yeah, that was, like, the big thing, I believe. It's supposed to be the 13th film coming out. Oh, dear God. They got to do something special once this gets figured out. Yeah, I think that was, like, the big thing. Everyone's like, dude, get this settled because it's going to be your 13th film in the Friday the 13th franchise. Is that counting yeah. Freddy versus Jason? Yes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, clearly, y'all have thought about this. It's good. We've thought about it because I've been sitting there every day thinking, you know, when this movie comes out, <laughs> never they get out of court. Well, I yeah. Lion King prequel. I don't think it's going to be that good. <laughs> but, you know, we'll see. I, I love X-Men First Class. That's my favorite movie in the franchise. So it can be done. There are exceptions to the prequel. Well, I'm not going to say that there aren't exceptions. It's just, I, I would say at least like horror is probably the most troublesome when it comes to like usually when i see that they're doing a prequel it's like oh shit you ran out of an ideal for your sequel didn't you but yeah, you're not wrong. yeah it can be done i think comic books just lend themselves a little bit more easy to do prequels because it's just that shit's been around so long there's so many stories easier that it's easier to pull it off there true um this is cool lewis pullman has been cast as writer ben mears in the upcoming salem's lot remake Lewis Pullman, uh, Bill Pullman's kid, I believe. He's going to be Ben Mears. I, I, I like he's attached. I think James Wan's producing this one, I believe. I forget who's directing adaptation. Um, you can find out. I want to say it was a good name. I think it's a guy, Gary Del, uh, Delberman, who Is wrote oh. one of the It movies. Okay, yeah. So both I, of the It movies. Okay, so I like I like who's attached for sure behind the scenes. Um, I'll I'll see. I mean, hey, we're having a nice little king renaissance, so I'll I'll check it out. True. I'm. I hope they go. You know, I hope they actually do something with Kurt Barlow and not just make him a mute blue Nosferatu knockoff like they did in the in the miniseries. I would very much like to see that character explored to you know, like thoroughly the way he should be. So we'll see. Um, I'm sure they will. Yeah. It is Gary Delberman. He's writing and directing. Uh, yeah. And then Lewis Pullman's the only one who's been cast so far. It's in pre production. See, it's pretty early. I think they're taking the time on this one. Well, good. It's one of his you know, most celebrated stories. I want this to be scary as shit. Yeah. yeah I mean, it's, I, I remember like I reread it a couple of years ago. And I, and I always forget that with a lot of King's work, like a lot of the beginning is just like setting up the town and like the characters that you come across and it, and I almost like, I almost didn't finish reading it because it was just like, that. like a lot of those early chapters are just, they're just so much. And I was just like, all right, you son of a bitch. I know, I know this gets good. I know there's vampires in here somewhere. And I, <laughs> I, I, I pushed through. And then once everything really started getting going, like I, I really like that book a lot. Yeah. Salem's lots great. I love the, 
disappearances that are happening on the outskirts of the book the entire time. And you're not even paying attention to it until you realize like everyone's a fucking vampire. Mm-hmm. Like that's such a smart story. I Salem's lot is so creepy. I hated the miniseries. It's it's just like it's one of those things like that movie never should have been ch- chopped and like done the way it was done. Yeah, I think I think if you would have just let Toby Hooper do his thing, he could have he could have because there are some genuinely like frightening moments in there, but there are so few and far between. And because it was put on TV, it just it never was allowed to just be its own thing. Yeah, very true. Yeah, but that that's evident with like a lot of King's early adaptations, like uh, the first hit from the 90s. Like I, you know, I do like Tim Curry in the role, but man, to put that put that book on TV, make it a TV movie, like why, why that book? Because if you've read that book, it's yeah, it's a wild book. <laughs> Very much so. But I like that we're you know we're taking Stephen King a little bit more seriously these days than we have in the past when it comes to film. So I think this is going to be. Like, and I, I've been waiting a long time for a really scary vampire movie. And this could be it. Yeah. It, yeah. No, like, it's nice to not have just certain directors like, you know, Mick Garris or like what Stanley Kubrick did with The Shining come in and actually do King Justice. But now we're actually getting a good quantity of these uh, directors that really like Stephen King's work and want to do these things justice. And the studios are working with them enough to be like, yeah, you can get your already Stephen King adaptation. Like, okay, sweet. So it's, you know, it's, it's nice seeing this stuff work out the way it should have in the first place. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I'm excited for, you know, Andy Muschietti wants to do the long walk. I mean, I I never thought we'd get a movie out of that, but you know, it could happen. Yeah. Yeah. There's a lot of different renaissance that's happening and that's, this is one of the more exciting ones with the King one. Oh yeah. Big time. Um, ending on a couple sad notes, um, actress Marilyn Eastman has died at 87 years old. Uh, Eastman was known for her role as Helen Cooper in the 1968 horror classic Night of the Living Dead. She will be missed. Damn shame. R.I.P. Yeah. Mrs. Cooper. Yeah. R.I.P. Yeah, that one hurt. We gotta, we gotta just start this shit and get Night of the Living Dead on the podcast. <laughs> like film gas and we got it i want to break into if the romero if we, and we got if the only way we can do that is if we do night of the living dead so we got to we got to do that this year if you wait long enough this year long enough and i get my stuff back from the movers and i'm with josh i don't know if he owns it but i got the criterion collection one that you saw me buy of night that i, I really want to fucking put on so yes. i'm down and i've got a cheap I, blu-ray i got from that weird guy in seattle yeah, I own it on VHS, and I also have uh, not one but two DVD copies because I bought one, and then my cousin bought me one for Christmas one year. He's like, "I know you like them horror movies, and I don't know if you've ever seen this." I was like, "Yeah, no, I I actually already own it, but thanks." Um, I have been meaning to pick up the Criterion though, and uh, yeah, I don't. Know. Yeah, you saw um. You saw in the group chat, I think, Caleb, when uh, when I sh- when I showed my my fancy VCR. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh yeah, that's why I say wait long enough, Connor. I got you, Josh. I got the Criterion. 
once I get my shit from the movers, end of October, beginning of November, gives me a chance to watch like Criterion one and not my other one. Because actually, I also own two. So I also have like a cheap Blu-ray I picked up just to have it at before they got an official release of it with Criterion. So yeah, that's cool, and that's obviously going to be one where it's all three of us. In how could it not be? <laughs> I'm all about uh, it. Yeah. Cool. Yeah, we'll be doing that. Um, and finally, uh, beloved character actor Ed Asner has passed away at 91 years old. Asner won seven Emmys in his career, mostly for playing the character of Lou Grant on the Mary Tyler Moore show and its spinoff, Lou Grant. Some of his notable films include Elf, Hard Rain, JFK, and of course, Up. He was a television legend who didn't do a lot of films, but always delivered a solid performance, and he will be missed. Uh, I had to tell my cousin. The way I, I told my cousins that Santa Claus was dead, I probably shouldn't have phrased it like that. But yeah, Elf. He's one of my favorite movie Santas. <laughs> I know, I'm a heartless bastard. I'm aware. They're not like five years old. They're in their teens. <laughs> uh, harsh. That's very harsh, man. Uh, why would you do that to them? Santa Claus is dead. I'm 28. Oh, I, I never feel like that. I literally had a moment in my head where I'm like, That'd be, this would be funny. And I just did. <laughs> they looked at me like, what? Anyway, um, up, man. He'll always, you know, fucking Carl Fredericks. I, I, I loved it. I love that movie. It's hard to watch, but I, I do love it when I do manage to push through that opening. <laughs> oh yeah 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 that that opening always gets me always gets me yeah i i feel like if you don't cry during the opening of up you are a heartless cold bastard i was you know the first time i saw up nobody told me i saw the preview and was like oh old man and a kid you know find a bird in like some weird island oh house of balloons this is gonna be funny and then i go to see it with my mom and within 10 minutes we're both like just leaking tears just trying to eat popcorn and watch this wacky comedy that opened with the saddest short film i've ever seen dude i i knew about it like i had because i was i watched up a little bit later so i knew about it going and i was like it's not going to get me i won't be affected and i put it on and yeah i was just like oh god yeah dude i disney movies just get in like they just make my tears, like my tear ducts activate. I don't know what it is. Yesterday, I was just, I was watching a video of the, like, the songs that have won best song at the Oscars. And fucking Colors of the Wind from Pocahontas came on. I didn't even like that movie. And the song, all of a sudden, I start, like, I start feeling it coming up. And I'm like, Jesus Christ, what is this? <laughs> oh, man. So, yeah. Ed Asner's gone. <laughs> I stand by Jesse's song in Toy Story 2 oh, still to this day. I get it, man. I get it. That's a that's a rough one. I yeah. Oof. There's so many moments. The I can't watch the beginning of the Lion King without crying nostalgically. The original one, not the shit we were talking about. I mean, you could probably cry during the shitty new one at like the travesty that's happening on the screen. <sighs> yeah, that's angry tears. These are, you know, soulful tears. <laughs> But yeah, um, 
I it's a it's a um, I'm gonna mention a movie that a lot of people hate. Probably hasn't left 2001, but I have a soft spot for it because I fucking love John C. McGinley, and that's 2001's The Animal with Rob Schneider. Um, oh and Asner plays the police captain in that. <laughs> wow, I actually saw that in the theater. I think with with some friends because you know that's when Rob Schneider could do no wrong. You know how could how could you how could you turn down Deuce Bigelow in a movie called The Animal? Come on. <laughs> I yeah I I had that movie on tape like way younger than I should have been watching it, and. I just thought it was funny because I liked the, you know, the guy from Scrubs, as I called him. And then Schneider and then, you know, fucking Survivor Girl and uh, Ed Asner as this just weird police captain. That was the first time I ever saw him. And it sucks that that's, who I, that's the first movie I always think of when I think of Ed Asner. But, you know, it is what it is. <laughs> I might watch that tonight. I think that movie's funny. I don't give a fuck. It's just like, so that's like, that's like those late nineties, early two thousands comedies that just kept coming out one after the other. And you know, you know, better, you know, it's not going to change your life or, or anything like that. And for a lot of people, it's their guilty pleasure. And admittedly, I haven't seen any of those movies in, you know, probably since I first saw him. And I will tell you that there was a lot of, it's a lot of herbal motivation getting me through those, getting me through those movies and probably why I laughed so much. Um, but yeah, I mean, look, sometimes, sometimes you just got to turn your brain off and watch something stupid. Uh, when I was a kid, I kept, you know, I kept thinking like, Oh, I want to try badger milk. <laughs> just <laughs> wacky shit be like ah he's a monkey (laughs) like when he you know he wrecks his car on the mountain and he looks over like and his foot is next to his head and he's just like (laughs) just passes out i don't know i have yeah i have i'll still watch that movie and laugh hey giggle guys if you're hearing this the animal throw that on the schedule (laughs) and we need you guys to have a conversation about what animal you would be yeah <laughs> oh my god well rest in peace ed asner uh you were a talented artist and it always sucks when we lose a great talent like him um so before we get into Candyman, let's talk briefly about these other two films vacation friends uh hulu is really killing it with comedy lately and this movie is funny as shit and John Cena and Lil Rel Howery are becoming two of my favorite people to watch. Uh, this is just great. It's, it's just enough, you know, to be r- realistic. It's, I thought the ending was a bit sudden, but I was already, you know, laughing my ass off the whole time, so I didn't care. Uh, thoughts? Uh, I actually didn't see it, but there's, there's been a couple of comedies that have come through Hulu that I've, that I've heard good things about, so... I'll have to uh, I'll have to make some time for that one, and then uh, the other one with um, Kristen Wiig. What is that? I can't remember what that's called. Barb and whoever. Oh, Barb and Star go to Vista Del yeah. Mar. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, I haven't seen that one either. Um, I didn't realize it was on Hulu. I'll have to yep. give that a shot. 
Um, I really like Little Monsters. That's my favorite comedy to come out of them. That was such a good movie. Yeah. <laughs> it's a lot better than I thought it was going to be. And I always like it when you've got somebody like Josh Gad, who is known for one thing and then completely turns that around. However, I also heard his at least singing voice and a little bit of his um, acting ability through the soundtrack for the Book of Mormon, because I guess he was on that first run that they did. Cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) So if you ever if you ever find it, like find the original like first run on Broadway that they did, he's one of the characters. And that always sticks in my head. I always picture him dressed as a fucking missionary. Anytime I hear his voice and he does, uh, he's done some character work on uh, Bob's Burgers too. So <laughs> like just, just, just hearing that and my kids love all the songs that they do on the show. So anytime they're riding with me, they're always like, dad, can we hear some songs from Bob's Burgers? I'm like, yeah, sure. Let's, yeah, let's go for it. So yeah. It's good stuff. I, I really I was I was really pleasant, pleasantly surprised with how funny that movie was. I was not expecting it. And it, it definitely uh, won me over a few years ago. Like my uh, <laughs> my uncle got my grandparents uh, tickets to the Book of Mormon. Hmm? Uh, my grandparents don't like South Park. They uh, aren't really fans of raunchy comedy. And most importantly, they used to be Mormons. No. <laughs> so they didn't care for it. <laughs> you think? Did your grandpa just did your grandpa just sit there and grumble and growl the whole time? What I hear, I think they walked out. <laughs> if, if they well, didn't walk I, out, I would like, I would hope so. Yeah. My uncle, like afterwards, we were all like, what were you thinking? But he's the same guy who sent my grandma who is absolutely terrified of horror movies um took her to see 1408 <laughs> so yeah he, his judgment ain't great but i just yeah i love it. every time i think of the book of mormon i just think of my grandparents just sitting there absolutely horrified <laughs> oh that's funny god uh yeah no i agree hulu like what I like about them is that they believe in, apparently they believe in quality over quantity. Because they don't come out with a shit ton of stuff. But a lot of what they do come out with is good. And yeah, like I said, I like, really like Little Monsters. I was, I went into the vacation prancing and like, this is probably some stupid comedy I'm going to forget about. And it turned out so fucking funny. Like, Lil Ray Howery and um, John Cena were great together. Those two, you could tell they were having so much fun. And just them together. I've already I've really been liking John Cena's like comedy output. Like that dude is fucking hilarious in my opinion. And he just continues that here in this movie. Yeah, straight up. Um, yeah, it was really funny. I recommend checking that out. Um, I give it an eight. Is really it, the scene where they accidentally, where Lil Earl Hallery accidentally takes like the most potent magic mushroom in existence. That. That's the scene that won me over. Just them like roaming through the woods with Beastie Boys. So what you want playing the the sky clearly distorted and then just like I love the wait. Did you eat that? Yeah, because you told me I did not tell you to eat it. I said jackpot, and that's it. (laughs) Well, I ate it. You know what? It's fine. Look, 
I'm with you. Okay. I'll eat this one. <laughs> he pops out. He's like, see, look, it's fine. We'll go through this together. <laughs> like when he's just standing there and his father-in-law is turning into a clown and he's just like, <laughs> yeah, that it's a great, it's, it's a, it's a good movie. It's worth your time. It'll make you laugh. I love this part when they're going over the golfing rules. All right, there's no razoring, no trinking. It's on John Cena comes flying through the green in a fucking golf cart, drinking a six pack. <laughs> the scene that made me laugh the most, I just I think because of the way it was done, it was when the pawn shop guy is closing shop and he's taking everything very slowly, and he gets to the clo- the open sign, and you see the fucking Ferrari zoom by and flip around. <laughs> he's like joking John Cena. he's like you're joking me but you're angry it's okay and then I'm, I'm trying stops. to get out of this but I won't because you're my friend <laughs> and he finally lets go of me and goes I'm okay and then he just face plants on the sidewalk <laughs> <laughs> oh I love when he shoots the bottle off Lower Howery's head <laughs> he's just like what <laughs> the fuck oh, yeah, his, like, wife, his girlfriend's like you hit the bottle this time I like, oh. like all right, now your turn. And he fucking hits his head. He's like, it was just a graze. It didn't even bother me. His fucking head is soaked in blood. <laughs> yeah, solid, funny movie. I'm, I'm glad. It, yeah, I'm glad that was a good one. <laughs> really Definitely recommend that one. And on the opposite side of that, we've got No Man of God, which is not funny at all. No. But that was expected. <laughs> uh, this is the story of a weird relationship that formed between FBI profiler Bill Hagemeyer and convicted serial killer Ted Bundy in the last days where Bundy was about to be executed and he finally (laughs) confessed. And it is a a very dark movie uh, anchored by two brilliant performances, particularly Luke Kirby as Ted Bundy. Uh, Wow. Thoughts? Well, I had... um before this i had seen the uh the ted bundy tapes that netflix put out Mm -hmm. and that was going through my head when i was watching it and it was very eerie how well luke kirby like channeled ted bundy i mean very like very small things that he did like small details that he did and it was like it, uh, it was just so unnerving and I kind of liked because it sometimes it can be off-putting when they use a mixture of archival video in with a narrative but I felt like it was it was just enough to really anchor you into where they were and what was going on um, especially because this is for some people, this is probably uh, if if it's a distant memory, it's like nothing at all. Because I barely remember hearing about this. I was like six years old when they killed him. Um, I, I I vaguely remember seeing like the people protesting outside. Um, because that whole scene that they opened up with with Bryant Gumble talking about that. I don't know if I saw him specifically, but I do kind of remember that, and just how. How matter of fact and how chilling that was, but also the pure excitement on those people's faces when this monster was just put down. And oddly enough, I had a moment 
towards the end where um what they had done earlier in the film where bundy is like trying to talk about the green river killer and how he's like you know he's he's just a man he's not a monster you know trying to humanize him but then like at the end he's like actually like breaking he's he's that the whole facade that he's put up is finally breaking and then you actually see when he starts talking about the the murders that he was committing it was just like it totally just shattered me i was like oh my god like you're you're a despicable human being like the whole time he's you know defending himself and saying he, he never did it and, and all of that shit and then he just he just started talking about it like it was nothing and he remembered every bit of it and i was this is fucked so fucked yeah however his ego did help in some way in in creating some kind of techniques and laying the, the foundations for a lot of markers that they have for uh, serial killers now. Yeah, very true. I found out something pretty goddamn concerning. My mom and dad lived in the Green River Killers hunting ground while he was active. They went through the park that he would constantly grab women from. Like they walked through that park all the time. That's well, a good thing your mom wasn't turning tricks. <laughs> yeah, but like to just casually tell me that, like, fuck, man. Like you'd think, you know, active serial killer, regardless of what you're, you know, if you're turning tricks or not, maybe avoid that part. Well, I don't even think like, especially like right at the beginning of what was going on, it, it wasn't news because of who he was killing, who his victims were. It just yeah. it was just like back page stuff, which, which is which is terrible in and of itself. Um, going through Washington and living there, I was with, um, <clears throat> I was with a, uh, my, uh, I was with, uh, Jamie's uncle and he was driving us around and he was like, oh yeah, it's uh, university of Washington. I was like, no shit. Really? I was like, is there like a Ted Bundy cafe there? He's like, no, but you know, I mean, I, God. I was being an asshole, but, but he was like, no, he was like, he, he, he definitely went there, you know, like there are, there are people around here that still remember him. And it's just like, it's just so crazy because that's, that's the kind of thing that should be remembered because you, 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 you don't want that kind of stuff to be forgotten because it's like the, the worst of the worst of humankind. And, also remember that as connected as the world is now, it's still just as easy for people to disappear. Yeah. Well, like there was, um, I don't know if you guys watched Mindhunter. Oh yeah. yeah. Good goddamn show. Oh yeah. Fantastic show. There's a line that um, Ed Kemper says in that show where he talks about like, you know, you're only able to profile the ones that got caught. Like not, there's so wrong. many out there that you're never going to know about. Like, yeah. I got, well, that, that gave me goosebumps, man. Yeah. Well, and even like, you know, one of the big things with Bundy, I kind of put it in my review, you know, like he, like you said earlier, like he really led majorly to profiling in the FBI uh, department. Cause before that they didn't get in my heart touch on it too, but they didn't give a shit about profiles. Like just catch the bad guy. We don't give a shit. Just catch them. Yeah, it was you know, a pseudoscience. 
yeah and it was like well okay but this is the thing there were and again the other thing that bundy represented you know for a lot of these people they thought criminals and serial and at the time serial repeat offenders so they don't have a fucking term for it you know where the weird looking guy in the basement you know he there was a type he looked like a certain yeah. someone bundy bucks of that trend majorly he was this charming suave handsome man that could blend in with society to an extent eventually you know it crumbled but you know he was able to blend for a long time and that you know really pushed forward the idea of like we have to find a way to profile these people so we stop these serial killers from me taking you know so many lives and it happening all the time so you know very major things i did point out like you know we've had a, a decent amount of, like ted bundy shows and movies coming out recently like a good amount because he's he's just he's he's fascinating he's he's america's boogeyman yeah um and i think with this movie what i liked about it so much apart from the performances was that it showed more of him especially when he was locked up which i think is more interesting part of the history of Ted Bundy, because you can, that's when you really see him for what he was. And that was, like you said, he was so, you know, conceited and trying to claim he never did it. And then towards the end, he finally cracked because he, like any person was faced with the fact that now I'm going to die. And I really like that scene when he's like breaking to Elijah Wood about dying. And Elijah Wood finally freaks out on him. He's like, well, what about the girls you killed? Yeah. Did they have a chance? Did they get to call their moms? Like that, that scene was so powerful to me. That was um, my favorite line. Like, you know, you get to call your mom. Like the power of that statement. Just yeah. Sorry, man. <laughs> it, yeah. And yeah, like you said, the performances, like I've been a major fan of Elijah Wood's post Lord of the Rings career. I really like it, what he's been doing on the indie scene. Um, he is phenomenal in this. Luke Kirby, it probably as of now, probably the best. Uh, portrayal of Ted Bundy I've seen and what we've been getting so far um, really liked him a lot well like like you said you know this version of Bundy is the is you know seeing the, the Bundy that got caught the, the guy who's rotting in a jail cell but I also liked you know last couple of years we got that um uh, the Zac Efron version mm-hmm. the um, extremely wicked shockingly evil and vile and that Bundy was very much, you know, the charismatic, I'm going to get, you know, I'm going to win this like version who was convincing people because he was so handsome and charming and confident that he, there's no way he could have done these crimes. Yeah. And both sides of this guy existed. And I love that you can kind of use both of those movies to make an entire human being here. Mm. Yeah. So, I like yeah, I like how with even though we are getting kind of a, a good amount of Bundy content, along with the that stuff, I know uh, the last podcast of Left Guys they came out with their book. On the side, the first chapter was on Ted Bundy, so good timing there. Um, and yeah, I mean, you get with these two different movies, you get Zac Efron's take, which is like you said, this very active. He was actively killing at that time, and you know it, it works. And I actually did really enjoy that movie and his performance. But now here you get the other side, and I'm glad it was different. It wasn't the same story. It was, okay, no, we've already had the movie about him doing his thing. Now here's a movie about when he got caught, and he's facing death row and actually having to die himself because the country wants to get rid of him. Well, I love when, you know, the governor of Florida does give him seven days. 
to get his affairs in order. And he's upset. He's like, you know, they could have given me 30 days, 60 days. Like, how could they do that? He just wants to like win reelection. And all the time, you know, Elijah Wood and you are sitting there like, bitch, you killed 30 people. Yeah. That <laughs> like, we know of. Yeah. That, that we know of. Remember. Yeah. And yeah. What, what, you know what scene kind of infuriated me when he, Elijah Wood goes out and he finally, you know, after Bundy confessed to him, which was another great scene, seeing like when he's telling him everything and Elijah Wood starts crying, yeah. phenomenal scene as well. And so, you know, he goes and tells the, the warden, hey, they just found, he finally confessed to me. And that lady, his civil attorney, gets pissed at him. And she's like, well, he's here. And I'm like, okay, yeah, but lady, he's murdered tons of women that he can remember. They're, that number, I guarantee you, is higher than 30. Yeah, definitely not, definitely higher than 30. Yeah. I'm like, why are you feeling this way about him? I was like, I'm with the governor. Get rid of this guy. Like, yeah. No, he, did, he lost his chance at life and he decided to do what he did. Oof. Yeah, it's a like you call you, you called him America's boogeyman. That's a that's a brill, that's a great descriptor for this guy because mm-hmm. you know he's been dead for what thirty plus years. Yeah, thirty years, thirty two years almost. Yeah, and here we are still afraid of this guy, still talking about this guy, still trying to understand why he did what he did. Yeah, and all because of like like we talked about, all because of what he really represented to the criminal system what we think is serial killers, how the, F- I mean, this, it, it, it sucks to say it, but he was the first of, you know, serial killer in a sense of how we identify serial killers now. He was definitely, he was the exception to the rule. You know, you look at guys like John Wayne Gacy, Ed Kemper, Richard Ramirez, these were ugly people inside and out, mm-hmm. but Bundy was a seductor. Yeah. He was married with a kid. Yeah. He, you know, he grew up in a nice home. He had brothers and sisters. He wasn't abused. He should not have ended up becoming what he became. And finding that, you know, tipping point is important. And we, I don't know if we ever really did. Like, I don't really think we can explain Ted Bundy. I, I don't think there's any ex- true explanation that we'll be able to find. I think actually... The line they said it in the movie, and uh, I think it was said by me goes, Oh, when you ask uh, Elijah Rich goes, Because you could, towards yeah. the end, he's like, Well, don't you want to know why I did it? And Elijah Rich goes, Because you could. I honestly think that's the reason. Yeah, I think him, he knew he could do it, he was getting away with it, so he just kept doing it. Serial killers, man, they're yeah, yeah. I think it's as simple as that. It's the stranger's explanation, right? Because you were home. It's that terrifying, simple truth of he could do it, and so he did it. Yeah, this movie, um, I don't think it's going to get up a lot of attention, which is a shame because it deserves a spotlight uh, for the performances alone. And just the way that this movie is, in, like the way it kind of um, never really boils over. It's like it's just enough. Mm-hmm. I, I appreciated that like one of my favorite bits is when like um, Hagemeyer lays out what he thinks Bundy's going to do if he ever breaks out and you know he says he's going to steal a car make it to Canada and we'll never see him again and then Bundy freaks out and goes fuck you because he was right <laughs> he's yeah. like yeah you figured him out there and Bundy was caught up, you know bad and he's like no you're not smarter than me he had a reaction to it Seeing those two guys just kind of playing 
you know, a game they're both like, you know, they're both playing their own game, very aware that the other person is playing their own game. It's a very smart screenplay. Yeah. And then to find out that, you know, essentially the character that Woods plays, the FBI's most famed profiler, like granted, this guy was the profiler for the FBI for decades. Yeah. And I love that no no epitaph about Bundy. Just, you know, a monster got put down. Yeah. America's boogeyman got put down, but will be uh, remembered for probably forever, as far as I'm saying. I mentioned in my review that, you know, it's, it's kind of fucked up that we all know who Ted Bundy is, but most of us, myself included, can't even name one of his victims. Mm. Yeah. yeah. Well... I give the film an eight. It's a solid watch. It's, you know, I think it's the closest we're going to get to a third season of Mindhunter for quite some time, if ever. Yeah. Uh, yeah, no, I agree. Give It's an eight. Look, the performances alone, it can't speak enough to that. Definitely check it out for that alone. It's a really good movie. Damn straight. Anything else uh, you wanted to add, Josh? Uh, no, I mean, you guys have pretty much, you know, hit on a lot of the things that I that I said um, I like you were talking before about how clever the script was. And they had that exchange where they were starting to just cut a lot of the bullshit out between them two. And Ted asked him, you know, when did you know From the moment I walked in, when did you know that I knew From the moment you walked in? It was like, they both knew exactly what the other was there for and what was going to happen. And it, it, it was interesting to see Luke Kirby try and show these these moments of humanity with Ted where he's like, that's my best friend. And it's just like, you don't even really mean that, though. Like, that's the thing. Like, he was a liar and just did whatever he could to save his own ass up until he knew that he had no no way out. Up until he knew he was he was never going to escape to the fucking chair. And then that's when the real Ted Bundy came out. And for me, like that was like one of the most disturbing things I've seen just to watch the watch every bit of artifice drain out of his face. And he just went straight into just detailing everything that he did. So, yeah, I was I was not expecting much from this, even though I did see Elijah Wood's face on there. I was like, okay. I don't think this is going to bore me and man, it did, it did everything, but, and it was, it was handled in a really good way. Like it didn't sensationalize and go for all of the other stuff. It went just for this moment, these interactions and yeah, it's, it's, it's an eight for me as well. Nice. At trick. Well done. No man of God. Yeah, awesome movie. I, I'm going to urge people to check this out. It's definitely worth watching. Yeah. Now for the moment we've all been waiting for. Candyman. Again. Candyman. <laughs> uh, so Candyman was directed by Nia DaCosta, who previously directed the 2018 drama Little Woods and is set to direct The Marvels for Marvel. Um, she hasn't done as much as I thought she had. Uh, a few short films... Little Woods, Candyman. Uh, but she's so good. 
Well, I want to say it's because of the, the little ones that she got this gig. Like they watched, they saw that, was really impressed, and then asked her to direct this movie. I got to see Little Woods. <laughs> At least from what I understand. Yeah, I think her, you know, her, her direction and her handling of this story is what makes this work, in my opinion. Yeah, I think she d- took such a great direction with this. Yes, and let it be known. Nia DaCosta, like we just said, directed this fucking movie. Apparently, a lot of people online are calling it Children Pills, fucking Candyman. He co-wrote and he produced. This is Nia DaCosta's movie, people. Yeah, absolutely. Jesus Christ, people. I hate people. They're the worst. Yeah, apparently there's been like massive fucking debate this weekend about that. And they're like, yeah, he produced it. He had a hand in the writing with her, but she directed this movie. I got to say, I was very surprised that you liked this so much, considering how anti-political message you are. I'm not anti-political message. Okay, you need to watch Black Christmas fucking 2019 to understand what I'm saying here. No. Not, I'm not, well, I know it, fucking wink, wink, new show. I got my Christmas episode now slotted for you, buddy. Yeah. Spoilers. Not, we'll, we'll get there. We'll get there. But uh, <laughs> I am not, I have no issues with, so, okay. If it's like Black Christmas 2019, where there was the whole thing was clearly just pushing that agenda and that was it. There wasn't really any want to try to make a fresh new Black Christmas for a new generation or blah, blah, blah. It was just, let's get this fucking agenda out and then slap a title on that people know. That's when I get angry. Okay. Something like this, where first off, the first game man is very much steeped in social commentary. Yes. But it's it's meant for that. It's meant to tell a story and also make you think. That does not bug me. Romero has done it all the time. Kubrick's done it a couple of times. Like it's it's been done before, and there's plenty of films I like like that. I just tell your story and give me your social commentary. Don't push your agenda. Okay. All right. So you're just anti-agenda. Mostly. Yeah. Okay. What I'm getting from here is you're a complicated man. <laughs> really? Status is complicated. Do you think Nia DaCosta is going to do a good job with the Marvels? I think so. I, I think so. I mean, I know, I think for a lot of people, what is it? The, I'm so sorry. I forget the name of the director for the Eternals, but I know Close she did. Nomad. Okay. I know she did Nomad Lad, Nomad Land. I know that was probably like for a lot of people like a an iffy pick because how does Nomadland, from what I understand, go hit Marvel? With what I've seen, the movie looks really good. That like I told said I think a couple of weeks ago, that second trailer really got me a lot more interested. Um, I think yeah, I think I think she will if she's able to work with like Jordan Peele and leave very much have her movie in Candyman. I think she'll be able to pull off the same thing with uh, the MCU for sure. Yeah, I think so as well. Um, Yaya Abdul-Mateen II plays a grown-up Anthony McCoy. He previously played Black Manta in Aquaman and also appeared in The Trial of the Chicago 7, Us, The Greatest Showman in the HBO series Watchmen. His stock rose very fast. (laughs) And he is great in this. Oh, yeah, he's... I have nothing bad to say about him. He is awesome. In this movie, yeah. Um, 
I love that they made this a sequel. I was really worried they were going to straight up reboot this, but making it a, you know, talking about, you know, Helen's um, story with Candyman and her specter kind of, you know, residing in Cabrini Green now that she's become kind of a boogeyman. I like how she became a boogeyman and the story got twisted. I loved that the story was twisted because if you've seen the original, you know what happens. So to see that be like that, again, going to that urban legend, they get twisted throughout the years and they're not what they start out as. To see it get changed to that was so fucking like smart to me and really well done. Yes, very much so. That was cool. Uh, Teona Paris plays Anthony's girlfriend, Brianna. She's known mostly for her role as Monica Rambo in WandaVision. Uh, she'll reprise this role in the Marvels with Nia DaCosta. So already forging a good writer, I mean, a director-actor relationship there. Yeah, she was good in this, so. Yes. Yes, she was. The whole thing with the art world, I, I get. I thought that was cool. I just hate those people. Dude, oh, yeah. That was the most insufferable part for me. Like, I did not. I, I kind of, I understand why they were kind of trying to use that and what they were saying about it because the critic especially seemed to be the most heavy-handed way that they were getting some of those ideas out and it was and it was something that i've remarked to a couple of my friends um about and i was like you guys need to go check this out because oh by the way i think uh i think a lot of white people die in this movie (laughs) so you'll enjoy it um Jesus. Well, full disclosure, they're black. So, you know, they're 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 uh, one of them or somebody I've known since high school. So I've known him over 20 years. And another one is a mutual friend of mine and Caleb's. And uh, so he uh, he always asks me how I how I feel about movies. And I told him I was going to see it. And he was like, yeah, let me know what you think. And I was telling him. <clears throat> is it who I'm thinking of? Adams? Adams, yeah. Oh, okay. So I was like, Adams? That one? Okay. Mm-hmm. Yep. So, yeah. Um, I kind of... That, for me, is probably, like, one of the more frustrating parts of it because I feel like it could have been used in a in another way. I won't say a better way because who the fuck am I? Um, I... And actually, now that I think about it, it does kind of tie into an idea that I brought up when we were talking about Candyman in that like it was like working through him to get these 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 images out and I also think that he was discovering that there was something inside of him that he had no idea about so yeah there's there's a lot of things that I did like about this movie and I'm sure we'll kind of We'll kind of get there when we get there. Yeah, absolutely. I. It makes sense for the story, the world of, you know, local artists and how, you know, Candyman, especially, you know, in the first movie was very much associated with tableaus and murals. And it makes sense that the next logical step would be kind of using that character in a, you know, local uh, show 
and the whole idea of like use you know spreading that through Cabrini Green again, you know, after they've made a vow to never speak Candyman's name again. But somebody who doesn't know about that pact doesn't take this seriously would you know resurrect this you know, evil. Yeah. Makes sense, and I thought it was done well. Well, and also for me, like thinking of like the artwork, right? It only makes sense too because if you're going to pick any other insufferable group outside of academics, it's a local starving fucking artist. That's great. Yeah, you're right. Like, well, it's not even it, it's not even the starving artist. It's the people that are using the artist to for their own for their own benefit and their own gain. They don't they don't care like people that um, that put artists up or, you know, have galleries to show their work. All they're doing is trying to make a buck off of them. They don't care. Like that was like that was that whole point where that dude was just um, trying to, like, tell Anthony that all the stuff that he had been doing recently is is shit and he needs to do something else, you know, because I thought you were going to be the great you know the the next great savior of of the chicago art scene and now you're just you're now you're not doing anything you know it's like so what are you doing and just like yeah. what do you call him the great black hope yeah something like that yeah. i was like why, why don't you just get the whip out and start cracking it on him jesus christ it, it well dude just like the art world in general annoys like in general the art world just annoys me in that regards like because it's like they sit there and they do that to these like young artists, right? And I actually, I liked what Anthony was creating. I was a fan. But er, like anytime I see like the art that they're like, this is the new hot artist that we need to promote. And you're looking at their stuff. I'm like, I don't understand what people like about this. Because everything's so fucking abstract now. <laughs> yeah, the whole concept of like, you know, what is bad art? Like, does it even exist? It's, I don't know because good art is apparently red splotches on a wall and they're like, but the meaning and I'm like, I don't, it, it looks like you threw a fucking paint can at yeah. a goddamn wall. It's all just fucking Ongo Gablogian, just crap, derivative. Like that's all I think of. Yeah, fucking, no, it, it is. Yeah. It is a lot of that. And it's a lot of people who are really just bullshitting that's what I've come to find out about a lot of it. And, and they, and they talk in such a way that it, that they feel like if they bamboozle you enough, you'll just be like, Oh, Oh yes, I do see that. Ooh. Oh. And you're just like, yeah. you know, there are, there are actual techniques and things that you can physically do to impart meaning and things like that. But when you're looking at a giant canvas, that's one color, it says more about what you see than any intention of the artist, because you could totally miss whatever the artist was trying to do, but you see something different. That's on you. It's the same. It's, it's the same thing about film. It's just, you know, it's, it's, it's a subjective medium and you're, you're pulling out unless it's as painfully obvious as a hammer to your face, what is actually going on. You're pulling things out. You're inferring different things that are happening. Just like this movie, you can yep. see this as you know, just a straight up horror movie, or you can you know look a little deeper. And it's not exactly hard to find that. This is pretty on the nose uh, social commentary here, uh, but I expected that. It's Candyman in this climate. I mean, 
it'd be fucking stupid if it wasn't there. Yeah. You know what's funny though is that there's definitely people that go in walking out of the movie going, I didn't think there'd be all this social commentary. I'm like, well, why, why do you go see Candyman then? It's your first time out. Do you need a like do you need someone to help you like get to your car? Are you okay? <laughs> is your name in your jacket? Are you gonna be all right? Just yeah, it's amazing. Some people <laughs> um yeah. well, the point is if you're going to pick any other snobbish group outside of the academics. Putting in the art world was a smart move on that part. True. Um, Coleman Domingo plays William Burke, laundromat owner with a dark past. Domingo is a notable character actor who's appeared in Lincoln, Selma, Ma Rainey's Black Bottom, If Beale Street Could Talk, and the TV series Fear the Walking Dead, among many other roles. This guy's been around for a while. Pops up all the time. Become one of my favorite character actors. Uh, And his character... Uh, I have a lot of questions about. I, I like the performance. Um, he was actually, when I talk about like minor things I had kind of griped with this movie, like minor, he is the one of the people I'm talking about. Actually, the main character I'm talking about on that, just because like the, the twist that happens and things like that, I'm like, okay, I get it, but it's not really strength, but I haven't seen it all for a film before well, like 20 other times. Just this whole concept of like, to, he's building a new Candyman, but like, why? When there's clearly a fully functioning Candyman out and about today. Um, it it also leads to my next question of when I say like they could have incorporated Anthony a tad bit better story wise into this movie. Yeah, that's why I'm like you personally. I would have been fine had Candyman was using Anthony specifically because of what happened in the first film to come back. That's what I thought it was. Yeah, yeah. without the whole twist of uh the this character i would have been fine with that again for me it's minor it didn't take a lot away from me for me i still really like this movie but that was my that's where a lot of my minor gripe comes from for me with all the uh you know bee stings and the holes that were popping onto anthony i fully expected like tony todd to fucking emerge from him <laughs> like the bees and like he, like bees would fly out of him and then, like, his skin would drop away and it'd be fucking Tony Todd. Yeah. Which would have been fucking awesome, but did not happen, incredibly. <laughs> I mean, it kind of happened a little bit later. Well, yeah, I think I, I, I think the way that they were leading up to that <clears throat> and how it was explained that... and this was And this was also part of where I had, like, a very visceral reaction to how they were building Candyman this time around and kind of explaining more about what he was in how, because even in the first one, they had a guy, an actual guy who held a hook and called himself Candyman and essentially invoking the name to do these terrible, heinous things to people. And then you literally had a guy who had a hook for a hand who was probably a little weird, um, but ended up not being a threat to anybody. Um, but he was also just another, another face and another name uh, of people who had lived there that had been murdered by the, by the cops or by angry white people, basically just reiterating that this, this story hasn't, hasn't you know, changed. And it and it and it all started with 
Daniel Robitaille and being being the first one, but he wasn't the last one. And it was like that was that line that he said, you know, Candyman ain't a he, he's a whole hive. And oddly enough, when Anthony, you know, is resurrected as Candyman, how like all the bees at one point were just in a mass over his face. And kind of that was that was to me at least another way that they were kind of showing that like he's just a force of nature in a way he's just like he he's revenge manifested yeah that was brilliant the end when he like is you know his face is changing into all the the men who've kind of become the vessel of candy man it's that was done really well and set this up as just kind of a you know this is an evil that will never go away this is a stain that can't be erased this is pain this is rage this is fear and it's coming for you. Yeah. Uh, fuck, man. Like, well done on adding to the mythology. I mean, just like building on something that was already so impressive and, and interesting and just doubling down on that. I was, I, was, I was in awe for a bit there. Yeah, that's actually the biggest thing I really liked about this movie was that um, thematically, you know, with its commentary, it took what was already there in the first movie and brought that forward and expand on it in a way that made sense and to apply it to a modern time of, like you said, it's not one person. Candyman represents all of the injustices that have happened. And it's a force that will never go away. will always be there. Um, I also really liked how all the kills were happening in the mirror. Yes, I like it again because if you take pay attention, like the first film, yeah, you see the gory aftermath of a lot of stuff, but you don't actually really see a lot of it go down as it's happening. Yeah, and I like how they again that was another thing that they carried from that movie. Like you really saw things, you saw things through the mirror, through some kind of reflective service, and you didn't really see it happening up close and you know, first, yeah, you you saw the gore, that was gore, but it wasn't. You know, much like the first one was not a Friday 13th style gore. You know what I mean? It wasn't in your face. Yeah, this is very much, you know, every scene is constructed to fit something. Um, I liked how randomly in the background you just see Candyman, like in the background of a scene or, or in the mirror, like off to the side. Oh, dude, uh, one of my favorites was when he was in that art critics uh, room. And after she opens the door, she's like, what's wrong? And you can see Candyman back there. Just just a little bit out of the corner. And he just kind of gets out of the frame. Oh, that, that little moment was really cool. This whole new Candyman, the guy who, you know, uh, the guy with the hook who gave candy to kids. That character was so, I think, unintentionally creepy. Like, just the, you know, crawling out of the wall and then giving a kid like some candy like that's fucking creepy as shit i would have screamed too yeah yeah look he may have been innocent but that is not how you just that's not how you approach children anyone don't even don't approach me like i'm 28 do not approach me like that i'm going to fucking punch you or something (laughs) boy yeah um (laughs) great stuff um Finally, we've got Vanessa Williams, who returns as Cabrini Green resident and Marie McCoy, Anthony's mom. 
Um, she's one of the anchors to the first film, along with the voice cameo of Virginia Madsen and a brief cameo from Tony Todd. Uh, I love that they just gave Anthony all of Helen's audio tapes because he was hot. Yeah. <laughs> Lady of the library is just like, are you a student? Mm-hmm. That was really funny. Yeah. Uh, and then him just listening to him. I I love the whole scene in the elevator when he like sees Candyman in the mirror above him. That was done well. That was another, another little moment I liked was when he was at his mom's and he was about to say Candyman and she shushed him. Yeah. Nope. Don't say that name. Oh, yeah. like She's the, been through some shit. Yeah, like the fear that is still in her eyes all these decades later. Well, goddamn, like it, I'm really glad they bought the actress back because it makes you really believe that fear in that scene, knowing that hey, this is literally the same actress from the original film. I love that through the actions of Helen and through you know finding her baby again, the neighborhood as one made a vow to never speak of Candyman. Like he's dead. Don't don't ever talk about him again. And then just a fucking lingering ghost story that never goes away brought him back. And right. also with his social commentary, right? Mm-hmm. I know like if we don't talk about these injustices happening to a minority group, then it'll just go away. And it's like, nope, it as the past, I would say year or two, maybe has really demonstrated it's just exploded. Yeah. You can't more. bury this kind of pain. Like just like you can't bury a force of nature like Candyman. Yeah. So, it, yeah. It's all part of the same story. It finds a way. Yeah. Life finds a way to quote Jeff Goldblum. Uh, Candyman has an IMDb score of 6.5, Rotten Tomatoes score of 85%. It's grossed 27 million so far on a budget of 25 million. Critics and fans alike are praising its atmosphere, performances, and social commentary. Um, I think it's interesting that this uh, its scores are already higher than the original. I find that interesting. You don't see well, that a lot. I think it's, I think it's because a lot of people might just be latching onto the timely, <clears throat> excuse me, the timeliness of it, True. and how it's, you know, definitely riding that wave of what's been happening recently and i think that i think that definitely has a lot to play with it however i i feel like the original is is better and only because it's it's a lot more straightforward in what it's trying to do and what it's trying to say i think one of the biggest um one of the biggest things i've seen as far as a, uh, a a criticism of what this movie has is it's a little um, it's a little confusing. Like it doesn't know exactly what it wants to be at times. Because while I did like the the mixing of body horror and how his body is slowly changing, as like that bee sting was just an infection. It's. I had questions about that. It was just kind of like, so are all the bees just carrying around Candyman in them? Like, is that a is that a thing? Like, I would have I would have been able to buy that more if he would have like been walking through the old Cabrini Green and he would have gotten stung by a bee there. That would have made more sense to me. I didn't really have I didn't really have an issue with it like 
as things were changing and what was happening to him and mm-hmm. kind of how that was consuming him because in a way like it was also it was also kind of timing it with his own revelation of where he actually came from and kind of finding out who he actually was like him finding out that he was the baby in that story really like it really just sent him over the edge and i kind of wanted more of the movie to focus on him and ironically enough in a way like he and um helen's uh journey are almost kind of similar in that he's exploring a place that he actually lived in didn't know about it and he's kind of walking around like he's an outsider and and seeing this place for the first time even though he actually lived there and just looking at this place that he has no real connection to that he knows of um so yeah i i really wish there would have been a little more focus on him because i think that's the one of the things that gets lost um and and I don't know exactly how you find that compromise. However, I still really enjoy this movie a lot. I think I think in the long run, this is going to be seen in a very positive light. It's already miles and miles and above the other two sequels that came through. So, but admittedly, that bar is very low. Yeah. Um, but I did kind of, not kind of, I did enjoy what they were able to put on the screen and and at least for me like i had a like i said i had a very visceral reaction when they just started to like name these guys names and it's like for me like it 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 kind of echoed night of the living dead like the ending of that where like you see this guy make it all the way to the end and what happens to him he's fucking gets shot in the fucking head and tossed on a fucking pile like at the end he's just discarded just as much as anything else and it's just it's very uh it's very heartbreaking to know that like these these people's names that just become names after a while are just, you know, they were people at one point. Well, that's kind of what, you know, Candyman doesn't let you forget is that, you know, by becoming part of this unfortunate legacy, they'll live forever. These names will live in, you know, in infamy forever. And I I like that. Um, Personally, I would have had, I think it would have been neat if Anthony became Candyman like halfway through the movie. And then the rest of the movie is following Brianna realizing this and trying to stop him. Yeah. I, yeah. Like I said, I think, again, this is just me personally, right? Had they kind of dropped the whole twist of uh, Bert, I believe was his name in the movie, mm-hmm. going to create a new Candyman. And had a strong Jews made the opportunity to do a strong connection between the first film and this one with Anthony. And yeah, have it's where maybe like Candyman is coming back. And once he kind of like senses Anthony set foot on Karina Green and goes, I'm going to use him to come back and let everyone know I'm not gone yet. Yeah. Maybe found a way to do that a little more. I think you could have, like Josh was saying, you could have kept the focus on Anthony a lot more throughout the movie because of that. And yeah, you could have had someone where yeah, he turns halfway through the film. 
And then it, they either could go on two years with that year, you know, do the DH Tony Todd a little bit longer throughout the movie or just kept it Anthony. I, I felt a little, you know, disappointed that we didn't get more Tony Todd, you know, bringing him back was such a big deal that I was hoping he was going to be in the movie, like a little bit more. I think, you know, if we're going to keep Candyman, you know, in the mirror off to the shadows and not see him, you know, fully anyway, why not? You know, you could still have Tony Todd who can still do that. But, you know, I don't know. Um, yeah. yeah. I, I, was, I was mixed. Like, I, you know, I understand, like, you know, sometimes, like, these, the filmmakers' frustration because fans are just so, like, we only want this if this actor's attached. What, and, you know, without realizing that eventually these actors age. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. you know, Robert England can't play Freddy anymore. As much as I would love for him to just keep on playing Freddy, he can't. And eventually, as much as we don't want it, it's going to get remade with someone else again. You know, it's, it's going to happen, unfortunately. Um, and, you know, same with, you know, Tony Todd. Like, he's, you know, he, he's aging, he's getting older. But, at the you know, so I understand the frustration on filmmakers with that in. And thinking like we have to, you know, you can't keep using him because there's only, you know, unfortunately human lifespan. At the same time, it definitely would have been cool to have him, especially because, you know, you see that intro where they, they de-age him and it's like, well, could you put him in a little bit more than if you were going to go ahead and de-age him? Like, it would have been cool. Absolutely. So I, I see both sides of the coin. I see on a filmmaker's perspective, but also on like the fan of like, yeah, I, I would have would have liked a little bit more two things i do want to praise um the score is fucking fantastic uh definitely builds on philip glass's score and also but kind of you know modernizes it a little bit more gives it you know it's for me it's less the Candyman theme and more of the the neighborhood theme like this yeah. is the music of cabrini green now it it really personifies what this film is going for yeah. uh big time and it works really well. Straight up. And then another thing I loved was the um, the, the puppet storytelling thing. I thought that was so cool and so creepy and so smart and really added to the whole like campfire story idea of Candyman. Yeah, this, this sequel really, again, I have not really sat through two and three. But for an understanding, they don't really embrace the urban legend aspect nearly as much. Yeah. But this film goes all in on urban uh, legend, especially with those, like, yeah, how they tell them with those little puppets, which was, an, again, a, ni- a very nice little touch that I liked a lot. Yeah, definitely. Um, anything else you guys want to want to bring up about Candyman? Not off the top of my head. Um, I, uh, like I said, I really enjoyed it. Um, I don't, I don't always have high hopes for that kind of stuff. And I think knowing that Jordan Peele and Nia DaCosta especially, uh, came through and really, really made it her own and really put a lot of herself or at least like her vision into this because it's, because it, it, was always going to be a challenge to not have people say, you know, Jordan Peele's name and attach it to this movie. But what people aren't 
or what people are failing to realize is that I think the first time ever a black female director has a number one movie in the box office, which I think is fantastic. Yeah, that's fucking great. Uh, she's going to be somebody to watch out for over the next few years. I think she's going to have a very interesting career. Yeah, and, and that's why I mentioned at the beginning that she directed this, because like I said, there's a lot of people referring to it as Jordan Pills came in. It's like, stop stop that. I get it. Jordan Pill is a big name now. We're all looking forward to his, his upcoming film next year. But he produced this movie. He did co-write it. Nia DaCosta directed this. They picked her because they trusted her to do this, and she delivered big time. And because of it, she has the number one grossing film right now. Do you see this um, starting a new Candyman franchise? I think possibly yes. Actually, I do think with the the fan reception, the career reception, and you know, taking into account situations right now with pandemic. Um, the money it has made, I think, I think, yeah, I think they're definitely looking to doing another one. Probably nothing. I highly doubt it. If anything, I would hope that this would kickstart, uh, and open the doors for more, um, more black people to make horror movies. Um, any person of color for that matter. I think, I think that's what it should be doing more than anything else. I mean, it's, it's almost inevitable that that conversation is going to happen. However, I think that especially with, with the impact Jordan Peele made when he came through with Get Out and then Us and now having his touch um, applied here and Nia DaCosta directing a, a film that's getting a lot of praise, I think it should give producers and people that finance films a lot more confidence that they can get quality films and quality horror films from you know somebody who isn't uh, a white dude yeah i'm with josh on this i I hope this opens up the right kind of doors um i feel like honestly this is a good ending to the Candyman story uh, I'm, I'm with you guys. I'm with both of you guys. Don't get me wrong. I'm just saying, like, knowing know. how Hollywood works, a sequel will get announced at some point and probably happen. Even though I agree with you, I think that this should be a good finale to this series. Because, yeah, that, that part when, you know, Tony Todd pops up and he says, tell everyone, that didn't feel like, for me, I didn't read that. I was like, okay, bring me the sequel. It was, okay, you can leave it here. Like, it's, I, I didn't read the ending. For me, just what the themes we're talking about, that ending did not read sequel bait. I read it's totally different to me. Yeah, fair enough. Um, I give this film an eight. I think it's a, a worthy successor to uh, a 90s classic. Uh, definitely going to inspire a lot of conversation and uh, shine a spotlight on uh, some things that deserve to be talked about. And it's creepy as shit, which is always a good thing. So yeah, eight. I gave an eight as well. Really, really enjoyed this movie. Eight. Eight, 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 eight. All right. Great, guys. Thanks for listening, everyone. Uh, next week is a very big deal. Another Marvel movie to dig into. It's time to enjoy Shang-Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings. Can't fucking wait. 
Uh, obviously, this is going to be our main focus. Uh, we've also got Worth coming out on Netflix. Uh, I don't know. We'll see. <laughs> it's Netflix. Look, I'm only watching Shang-Chi for the podcast. Yeah. Not watching Worth. <laughs> um, so it's Marvel Week again next week. Uh, don't miss it. Also, don't miss the Italian classic Suspiria on Wednesday's Filmgasm podcast or the 2018 documentary Minding the Gap on Oscar Sunday. I'd like to thank Josh for joining us today. Yeah, thanks for having me. Uh, have, a great, have a great week, everyone. Keep watching movies. <laughs>